0: On this week's episode of Locked In with Ian Bick, I interview Larry Lawton to hear his story about how he went from stealing millions of diamonds to becoming the most notorious jewel thief in America to ending up becoming one of the biggest YouTube stars relating to prison content. Make sure you guys subscribe on our YouTube channel for exclusive membership to get access to perks such as seeing interviews before they drop, behind-the-scene photos, and interacting with me on a personal level. Thank you guys for tuning in to Locked In with Ian Bick. Larry Lawton, the jewel thief, one of YouTube's biggest prison stars. Welcome to Locked In. You just had like a crazy travel ride with me in the car. You thought I was going to hurt you or some crazy (laughs) shit.
1: You know, you wouldn't remember this, but this is Appalachian. It was back a mob thing back in the day in the 50s when all the mobsters got together in upstate New York. And they ended up getting caught by a local police and they all scattered into the woods. And it's a very well known if anybody looked at, and it's where they went, I said, shit, where are we? He's gonna fucking whack me up here. <laughs> I'm in the middle of fucking nowhere. And he has got me, I, I can't do anything, he's driving. I mean, I, oh, I put myself in a bad position. I got no peace, no weapon fuck well you're not the first
0: guest you're not the first guest that said that but you made it here safely and really looking forward to this interview i mean our viewership has been asking for you i've been asking for you i'm glad we finally got it together um what's your childhood like growing up what's young larry lawton like
1: you know uh before i even start that i have to say this studio is great good for you guys (laughs) and the guys that run it are really good guys uh beautiful place so that and thank you for having me thank you Larry and okay that's you want to jump into my life Is that what uh, yeah I,
0: I want to start at the beginning man Let, let's see what makes uh, young Larry tick I, I was a crazy kid
1: uh I mean you know, I was getting in trouble young I, I started bookmaking at 12 years old um uh, there was I grew up in a very mob mob associated neighborhood in the Bronx New York and my neighbor was in the mob. My mom actually is a nurse and actually took care of a mobster who burned in a car, fucking bomb or whatever. And uh, we, uh, we, the neighborhood was full of teachers, doctors, and, and mobsters and construction workers. My dad was a construction worker. Well, I was always drawn towards easy way of doing things, smart. I was a pretty smart kid. Uh, I, I had a tough time. I was abused by a priest when I was young. And, and that's why I, I'm not religious. Let's put it that way. Uh, I don't blame that on anything in life. People go on. Things move on. Uh, You know, people are assholes. So you just got to remember people are people. Uh, But I started bookmaking at 12 years old. And I was making about $100 to $125 a week. This is in 1973, 72. So it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money back then. And this is cash money. And I'm like a kid, you know. Then, of course, I don't just stop there. When I started getting a little older, what do I do? I rob fucking cars for money. We would get taken cars to a chop shop for 500 bucks. You know, I had no fear. My brother was a year and a half older than me. Uh, the older kids, you know, I hung out with them, but they would pick on you. I was a little guy. I was not big like I am now. I was a 100. I went in the military at 132 pounds at 17 years old. So I was a small guy. And But I was fearless and I, I mean, I stabbed my brother with scissors. I broke his, I split his head open with a two by four. I went after other guys with knives. I mean, I, I was that kind of guy. I I had no fear and let's just do it. I I had too many concussions and maybe that's part of my problem, uh, which is okay. I mean, listen, we all grow up a different way. Whatever neighborhood shapes you, people shape you, you know, your environment shapes you. Uh, but I learned a couple of things very, that I hold dear to my heart today. I'm very loyal. If I tell you I'm going to be here, Ian, I'm going to be here. Uh, I'm not, nothing was, you know, I mean, of course, if something happened with death or something, but I can call, I can set things straight. If I told you I'm going to be here, I'm going to be, if I told you I'm ready at 10 in the morning, I'm ready at 10 in the morning. Actually, I
0: think I was waiting for one minute, Larry, while you were shooting your vlog
1: no you, you <laughs> actually weren't we were waiting for you in the a while. Uh, Oh, you're <laughs> waiting for me okay I had to text you though to come out no you didn't in fact I didn't see my text because really? we were doing okay. a vlog it was funny because I asked uh, uh Nick my sister I say Nick what kind of car is it oh it's the red car because there was a there was another blue car out there and, and okay. I said that's not him no no so I saw you come up, so we did see you
0: come up. Now, do you think that you were influenced by, like, your dad and your dad's business with the contracting and the mob ties a little bit?
1: Oh, absolutely. My dad used to take me from bars, and my dad built the World Trade Center. He was the one of the head guys on the World Trade Center doing what they call tin knocking or sheet metal work. Uh, matter of fact, when, when 9-11 happened, that, that hit him hard because he, literally, I was on the top floor of the World Trade Center in 1970, and the construction workers tied a rope around me and let let my brother and I crawl to the edge oh, wow. because it was built from 1968 to 1972. Four years, they built the two biggest buildings in the world at the time. And my dad used to take me around, and he used to pay off mobsters. And I didn't know what it was, but we'd go to all these bars and these uh, pool halls, and, and they're all these old guys, hey, kid, how you doing? You know, you got the cigar in the mouth and the hat on their head and... And I'm playing pinball with it. Listen to your father; he's a good man. Listen to your father. You know what I'm like? I'm, I'm like in. I'm a little kid. I, mean, I remember I was ten years old at that time. Yeah. And uh, nine, ten years old. I used to travel with my dad all over, all over the uh, city to do that. And of course, it had some kind of effect on me. But you know, again, I hate to put any kind of blame or anything. Oh, I became this because of this. No,
0: but it does have influence. Well, everything has someone. influence. You yeah. know, The
1: school you went to. Yeah, You know, if you were if you went to a Catholic school like I I did, that had an influence. bad one as it was, it had an influence.
0: Now, do you guys have money or are you guys well off? No,
1: no, no. We didn't have money. My family, you know, when my dad wasn't working and he was laid off, we had five kids, a dog. We lived in a little bungalow house in the Bronx. Matter of fact, when they bought the house, it had two bedrooms. My dad built two bedrooms in the attic. You know, that's what they did back then in these older houses in the Bronx. And, but it was a close knit community. Uh, But no, there were people with money and then there were people with no money. And I remember one time we went to a bowling alley and I know people who call my, I have a buddy who who ended up being very big in the bowling business. And he says, don't ever call it an alley, call it a bowling center. Fuck, it's a bowling alley to me. But anyway, so we're in the bowling alley and, uh, my buddy comes out and he's got the bowling shoes on, you know, the 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 red and the black or red and whatever gold uh, shoes. And he I, I, I go, what do you got? You got the shoes on. He goes, yeah, they're better than my shoes. So, I mean, we had people who had no money and we had people with money, but nobody cared. It wasn't like you looked at anybody. Oh, you're richer than him or you're poorer than him. It wasn't like that. It was the neighborhood you lived in. And this is in the 60s and 70s now.
0: Now, the situation with like the priest and the church, how do you think that affected your childhood? Did you ever like dwell on it? Or do you think that propelled you into doing like maybe more crime or kind of like bucking out against the world?
1: Wow, Ian, that's a great question. I I don't get that much. Uh, You know, psychologists always said that that had a big impact on you. Uh, They often said that I started really acting out at that time, meaning- Maybe proving you're a man, proving whatever you think you're a know, man. You're a fucking boy, a fucking little peepee a little fucking kid. What the fuck? You're a kid. You don't know what's going on. Uh, I'm sure they had psychologists, my writer, my book, Gangster, Redemption. Peter said, Larry, it's quite obvious what happened to you. I mean, but again, I hate to put an excuse on why I did what I did. Yeah. And I won't. I won't I will never do that.
0: Do you ever like sit back and reflect though like on those early ages like to, to think like what makes you tick now? like you were just saying about like the loyalty aspect and, and being a man on your word wor- uh, word like for me, I sit back and reflect a lot about my past, who I've met, what's what's happened, what I've been through, and that's kind of like shaped me as the person. So it's not necessarily like putting blame or using that as an excuse because like we own our actions and, and our decisions, but we use it as like a tool in a way to move forward
1: you know reflecting back is something i haven't done with all i've done i've done a lot in life i mean i i've lived a pretty full life i often say if i drop dead tomorrow don't feel bad for larry have a drink for him uh because i did a lot and uh if i reflect back i just i I don't feel like i have time and i've done so much with tv and and businesses and you know my bad business everything else which i'm sure we're going to get into the uh it's hard to reflect, but if I actually, you know, I remember being in the hole in prison, and I was in the hole for three years, and I was 11 straight months in the hole, and I remember thinking when I was going to kill myself, you know, you look back at your life, and uh, I had a rope around my neck in prison, a piece of sheet, and I was that close after so many months. You just start fucking going crazy. I don't care who you are. Anybody who tells you, Isolation doesn't kill people; it kills people every day.
0: Oh, absolutely! And
1: because we're social animals, especially me—I'm a social animal. Yeah. Uh, as we know, I like to <laughs> bullshit and talk and hang out. And, uh, so it, it's it's rough. So I'm sure it has shaped me, and I am sure uh, reflection-wise, I almost don't want to re- listen. Live life. I don't know. You know. You know who's supposed to reflect on you when you're gone? People will reflect on you and say, hey, Larry did the right thing. Larry was already a good guy. Yes, trust me. A lot of people ask me about regrets, and uh, I don't have any. And I know that sounds like harsh, but I don't believe it's harsh. Uh, everything that happened to us makes us who we are today. And regrets, no. Would I change things? Absolutely. Bill Gates said it. He would change things. And the richest man in the world at the time. And they said, would you change things? Of course he would take away the mistakes or whatever they were. Uh, but I don't I don't look at it. Uh, I try to make amends. I do the right thing by people. I, I, I feel like I try, I help a lot of people. I think that's what my ultimate thing is. I love to help people because it. when you help people, and that's how I have the highest success rate of any program in the country for kids. I don't know if you knew that. And uh, I'm used by the federal government. I'm used by police agencies. I'm using court systems. And often people ask me, they say, why do you get through? Why do you get through to young people? How do they, why are they listening? Because when they make a mistake, they now have lived the situation like you, uh, that not many people have went through. And you have an opportunity now to explain your story, what you do, and and now open the eyes of people and say, what's right, what's wrong? Uh, Or in your view, what's right or wrong, or the, the crap you went through because I don't care who you are. There's not there's not one person I ever met that went to prison and said, oh, that was great. I had a great time. Yeah. Nobody does. Yeah. And you have now an opportunity to educate others. And if you miss that opportunity to educate somebody, that's kind of, you know, I look at my legacy. I don't want to miss that opportunity. And it doesn't have, even have to do with uh, my crime. has to do with YouTube. has to do with uh, production, TV. I've done so much for so many years. If I can help somebody, it helps you when you help someone because you feel good, you, you know, you want to help. Yeah, I hope you do. If you well, don't, then well, that's when you're fucking disconnected.
0: And I think that's like the message of this podcast because it's an inspirational podcast. Like we'll bring people on and it's not just talking. I mean, yes, it's talking about like the the, the, the crazy shit that happens with the crime in the prison, but the bigger thing is, is the message at the end of it. And I think what gives this like a unique perspective is that as an interviewer, I'm I came from going to prison so I understand uh, on a certain level of like the struggles that the guest has gone through and and what's happened to them and like how I can relate to them on that level and I think that separates us apart from other areas where they've never had that experience before now getting back to your story high school are you doing drugs at all alcohol anything like that
1: uh first of all you are 100 percent right and keep it up I I listen to your (laughs) podcast and there's some really good stuff uh you know, I was never into drugs. I was into uh, gambling and we would play craps in the street, literally cards, all that kind of stuff. I drank, you know, stuff like that, but nothing in such excess that it was like I was an alcoholic or... So no or, addiction. Or, or drug. And I, yeah. I don't have an addiction issue. I've done every drug in a book. Yeah. You name them, I've done them. And I never got... I did oxycodone, 180 milligrams for 10 years. I needed them. You saw my back. Uh... And literally, I survived. And I've been through medical and pain clinics and, and doctors. Said, you, you're never going to get high. You will die before you get high. You have so much pain receptors in your body lighting off that that's how that works. So I've learned a lot because I went to Jackson Memorial Pain Clinic yeah, and understand it. So I don't listen. I'm a social person. I like to weather. And I'm a believer in all drugs. If you ever listen to my podcast, I had two doctors on my podcast. I think all drugs should be legal. And they go, What do you mean? Even fentanyl? Even fentanyl. Once you start picking and choosing what people can do, then you're taking that choice away from them. If you want to hurt yourself and kill yourself, you can go to Home Depot and go get, uh, you know, uh, poison for for you know seeds or grass poison or whatever the hell it is, and kill yourself. Or you want to go sniff glue if these kids are sniffing paint or whatever the hell they're doing. <laughs> if you want to do something, you can do it. Yeah. But I don't. I just think that we're taken away, and it's being proven as I, I, I speak today. Uh, Sweden and a lot of other countries are legalizing drugs and they're finding out that they have a lower crime rate, lower recidivism rate, and they're putting more money and resources into rehabilitation and education and it's working.
0: Yeah. Now, by the time you're 17, you joined the military. Why do you decide to do that?
1: You know, I had to get away from the craziness I was in. uh, And I I was a troublemaker in school, troublemaker everywhere. So I said, I got to go. It's time to go, and I went to military. I joined the United States Coast Guard, and this uh, is
0: instead of college.
1: Yeah, well, I didn't even graduate high school. Oh, you didn't graduate No. at that point. I did not. Now I got a college degree, of course, but okay. no, I did not graduate college, uh, high school. I, I left at the end of the eleventh grade. Uh, kind of like I had to the school want to put me in another school and stuff like that because I was a troublemaker, and I said fuck this, and I went and I went down and I. Uh, Joined the service. I joined the Coast Guard. I could have joined anyone. I had a very, very high ASVAP score, they call it. So when I went into Coast Guard, I loved the water. I lived near the Throg's Neck Bridge. Well, I say water. I lived near the East River where there was a sewer coming out with shit. But, you know, that that was our uh, that was our beautiful uh, country club. So it was funny. And because uh, it was a jetty, we used to swim at a beach. And literally on the other side of the jetty was a sewer. But, I mean, that's just what we did. It was the East River. And uh, at the end of these service, the Throg's Bridge, Whitestone Stone Bridge. So uh, I went to service and I loved it. I really loved it. But I still had that 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 criminal in me. I mean, I was in the Coast Guard, and once I got to the position of power where I was buying items from the Navy Navy what they call supply places, I was sending it back to the bar, sending it back to people I know, you know, to to keep favor with people and stuff. It was just in me. I mean, I don't know if that can if that's a thing.
0: You had like, uh, like, a, like a passion to do something. Like you were like an entrepreneur, but you didn't know how to like put that into business. You was like putting it into crime. You were like an, uh, an entrepreneurial criminal.
1: Uh, never heard it put that way, but you were 100% right.
0: I mean, like I, the younger me, that's how I was. Like I had all this ambition, but it was like unguided. And I think that's what got me into like shady shit because it was just like all this passion to like make this nightclub work. But I never like it was the mindset was do whatever it takes. So I'm gambling, you know, I'm running all this money through a bank account, not doing accounting. I never looked at the right steps. So it's kind of similar to like you in that sense, which is like an interesting perspective. Now, how long are you in the military for?
1: I was in the military almost eight years when I got hurt. I got hurt at about six years in. Do you go overseas at all? Oh, yeah. I was in Alaska. I mean, went all the way in the Micronesia, I went to Australia, New Zealand. We were, I was on a 378-foot ship out, out of Hawaii, and we used to do our patrols in Alaska, which was this fisheries 200-mile fisheries conservation zone. So we were boarding Russian ships, and this is during the Cold War. So this is some kind of crazy shit. This was when there was actually an incident in 1977 or 78 where a, a seaman Kaderkis Actually, jumped from a Russian ship to a Coast Guard ship. The Coast Guard let the Russians on the ship to get him back, and they ended up killing that guy. Yeah. So there was a big thing in the Coast Guard at that time where we were, you know, did briefings and stuff. If any anybody wants to defect to the United States, that you have to bring him back to the ship and then bring him back to shore, and then they, the State Department would handle it. You know, it's funny, Ian. Though know, years later, we used to go on board fishing boats out in the in the Bering Sea life-threatening stuff and we would find ships a million dollars now this is a lot of money back in the 80s early 80s and we would find these ships a million dollars and you know for for violating the 200 mile fisheries conservation act i find out years later i mean the last 10 years five years that all of it was bullshit I mean, that they would take these fines that we were given, and the State Department was like, oh, you know, if you guys host Coffee Hour, you know, we're going to wipe that fine out. You know, like, what the, f-? You know, like, it meant nothing. It really, There was no deterrent. It was just a, it was a tool for the State Department. I mean, you can get into whys and hows, and I'm sure they, they'll justify whatever they can do. It's just, you know, that's the way life was, and we didn't know we did what we were supposed to do. And I had hurt in the Bering Sea. I fell on a ship. Crushed my spine, as you've seen in the pictures. We can put them up if you'd like. I'll send them to you. And uh, I'm a lucky man to be alive right now and somewhat healthy.
0: And that ruined your, your military career right then?
1: Oh, I was retired. I am a retired veteran right now.
0: Now, do you think if that never happened, you wouldn't? I mean, you wouldn't be the person you are now because that would have propelled you into doing what comes next. Like you could have maybe finished your career with the military. Oh, I would have. Yeah.
1: There's no question I would have been stating. I loved it. I mean, at that point, I had 60 guys working for me. I was running the ship, like the deck department, they call it, the small boats. I was a small boat captain.
0: What do they call you in the military? I'm curious. Boats?
1: Boats. B-O-A-T. Matter of fact, (laughs) I can show it. Oh, man. Can I show it?
0: Yeah, of course. We had JD shirtless on this uh, podcast. So.
1: There's a needle, needle through my nipple and it's called Boats. And that's because uh, yeah. I was supposed to meet. Okay. And so my ne- you know, name was Boats. And uh, and I, listen, I was still the
0: way I am. I was a hothead, if you want to call it that. But you had like some discipline to a sense, like you were- Very grounded. disciplined, you know, yeah. like
1: workout wise, or I'm still disciplined in whatever I do. If, I, I'm the kind of guy that if I put my mind to something, you know, I'll go through a wall to do it. And it's just that's and and that's even how I started my YouTube career. That's a funny story, but we'll get into that if you want later.
0: Well, that's what makes you stand out. That's what makes individuals like that stand out, because not everyone has that work ethic or that grind.
1: The grind. You have it. There are some guys that we know who have it. And, and I respect it. I respect it. I mean, and it doesn't have to be just grind with YouTube. It could be a grind with the studio. It could be a grind with uh, uh, Nick and, and, and whatever the grind is. When you stick to something when it's not so glorified, not so fun, and you want to keep learning you because you won't quit, that's the grind. You won't quit. You no. don't give a shit. You won't quit. I love people like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, Joe Rogan said that best, too. He likes the guys that, like, fall down in life and then dedicate themselves to something. Like, with me, it's, like, this podcast, this, like, brand, and then it's also, like, the gym. I'm very, like, you know – Go to the gym in the morning, get my workout in, get my run in. I'm boxing at night, and like that's me. Like that's what I'm doing right now, and nothing's gonna get in like the way of that. So. Oh,
1: something's gonna get in the way. It's called health.
0: <laughs> oh, health. do you get older?
1: <laughs> so nah, you keep doing it. You're doing good. How, I remember doing that.
0: How old are you when your career with the military is over?
1: Wow, I, I was hurt, and I was at 25. I was out. What? Year I went is in it? at 17, so 25 a little bit. This is 1980. Five, when I really was technically out. I was in, but technically I was waiting for my military discharge uh, from medical retirement because I, I was actually giving blood every three weeks at Bethesda Naval Hospital in Washington, D.C. because they were going to do surgery back then. And then I refused that. I started getting along just good enough that I can make it. And I'm not a guy that loves surgeries or anything. I have enough now. <laughs> but um, back then I didn't. And what's your mindset
0: at this time? Like you just lost the, the, something that was so important to you.
1: You know, I, listen, I went right back into what I knew best, which was crime. I started bartending and uh, bouncing and uh, doing stuff for a card game for the mom. I had my connections, people who knew me, knew me from as a kid. He was a hustler, used to steal cars, he used to make money. He's loyal, he's from the neighborhood, that kind of stuff. This is the
0: Italian mob.
1: Yeah, and so they all knew who you were. I mean, you were you were a tough kid. You 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 didn't cry, you know. The kid, oh, that kid's fighting in the street. That kid's a kid. You don't give a shit. And so that, you know, you could get a job. So here I am, I'm out. I'm starting to feel better. Even though I'm hurt, I'm feeling better. Getting in shape, starting to do things I want to do. And I've become very, very good shape. And I was one of those of mindsets that, you, you, you can overcome anything, and you can to a degree until something else hits you, and obviously later in life it hit me. But I ended up uh, getting in great shape. Then I started bookmaking and bartending, first bartending, then bookmaking. I actually worked for a Jewish guy named Mac in Queens, New York, and um, I was actually on Union Turnpike. I remember it well. It was a Piano Lounge, and this guy uh, named Mack, They they used to say when he died, the economy went down. He was what they call a layoff guy. All the action uh, from bookmakers. See, how bookmaking works is they think it's like, oh, you're just a bookmaker and you make money. No. How bookmaking works is if you take $100,000 on one team and $100,000 on the other team, you automatically make the VIG. You make 10%. So you make 10 grand. Well, what happens if you have $150,000 on the Jets and they're playing the Giants and you only got $50,000 on the Giants. If you just don't do anything, you become a gambler. Yeah. and You better hope the Jets win. Yeah. So what you do is you lay off the difference to make the two dames even, so you're a bookie. Well, who would they go to, a guy named Mac? Mac was who I worked for, and I I remember him to this day, and he taught me the business very well. I used to go get him a an uh, English muffin with uh, cream cheese and jelly at the luncheonette Right next door every day, and he'd sit down. I mean, he was a great guy, man. Uh, and he used to take the action. I remember him taking the action from a guy from with John Gotti's crew. And I remember he just said, if, if, they, if they lose, I want this money. Uh, I'm not going to anybody but you, the guy who came to him. I mean, you ain't going to tell John Gotti you want your money. You know what I mean? That ain't happening. Yeah. Uh, and he was notorious for that. You know, not paying. (laughs) Yeah. What are you going to (laughs) do? And you're just
0: surrounded by, like, all these different individuals. You're learning. You're watching. You're kind of seeing what's going
1: on. I'm a a sponge, Ian. I'm a sponge now with YouTube or anything I do now. Uh, But I'm a sponge. I mean, I'm taking in how it works, how they speak to people. who they Now, I was taking bets now at $500 or $1,000. That's small. Mac is taking $50,000, $80,000. And I'm talking in the 80s now. This is 85. So then, and, eight, you know, 86, you know, that, that's. And I'm guessing you get bored with this
0: and you need to bring it to another level. No,
1: no, no, no. I don't get bored with it at all. I mean, I was put there with the mob that was learning and I loved it. Now you start doing it. Now I was also a uh, muscle in a card game, meaning like I was the bouncer for a card game. <laughs> you were the bouncer.
0: Okay. Yeah. Of
1: the card game. And, you know, guys are coming in with big money and stuff of that nature. And you gotta, you better know your people skills. Cause if you grab the wrong guy, you might just be die, you know, yeah. you know, but you have to understand what's going on around you. And I learned that. And then we were, you know, boosting stuff. We were robbing stuff. You know, we used to rob trucks at a Kennedy airport. We used to rob uh, phew, man. We'd get a lick. Someone would come up. Hey, I remember there was a crazy Eddie's. There was a, it was a, uh, like a store back in the day, crazy Eddie's. It was like an electronic store. Well, we knew manager there owes money, so, you know, lets us in the back, tells us when the code is not on, everything else. We'd rob that. So I I become more of a robber muscle kind of guy, collect. A few drug dealers didn't like me as well.
0: Do you guys have weapons? Like, are you carrying a gun, a knife? What do you do? Yeah, I did.
1: I mean, I was always with a gun. I mean, at one point when I got to my base, I used to have two or three guns. I mean, I was just a little bit off. (laughs) You know, I hate. You were
0: walking it. around with three guns.
1: Oh, I had one on my leg, and I sometimes had two, and I, I did. Now
0: you're licensed to carry them because you were in the military. Well, no, no, no I'm at.
1: Now I'm out of the military. Okay. I, I officially retired in '86, so I ended up fully retired. Now I'm bouncing. Am I, am I? No, am I not? I'm not at all. So then, in 1987, I get married in Brooklyn, New York. Big mob wedding. The whole works. I mean, I got married in 18th Avenue and 86th Street in a place called the Oriental Manor. And my first, in my wedding, I got married at a place called Regina Pache's uh, Church. They called it the last mile because it was a long, long mile you know, like down the aisle. FBI
0: was probably outside the cameras.
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs)
0: Seeing the who's who.
1: Yeah, it really was. And I'm a nobody, but there were a lot of people there because both families were, were connected. Yeah. So there was a lot of people there. Then, you know, I I decided to start a new life, you know, get away from this stuff. You know, things happen in New York. You don't want to hang out in New York. Bad people and bad. Let's start a new life. So I go to Florida.
0: You moved to Florida. I moved
1: to Florida. In Florida, I mean, I opened a pizzeria called Lenny's Pizzeria. You opened a pizzeria? Yeah. Oh, I had a pizzeria. You were making pizzas? I was so good at making pizza, I could throw a pie as high as the ceiling. So- you, then I burned the place down, you know, that part. Oh, that you burned too. the place I down. I burned the whole plaza down. I didn't burn just the police. What, room. with the pizza oven? No, 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 for insurance job.
0: Oh, you did that on
1: purpose? Yeah, of course So I did. what, do you bring gasoline in there and light the whole No, pool? no, no. What happened was, now, I'm in a New York. I have the pizzeria. It's going. And I know connections, so guys come see me. So a guy starts bringing diamonds to me. Just loose diamonds. Just kind of like, you know, oh, wow, looking diamond. Can you get rid of this, Larry? Matter of fact, the guy had a cell phone place, too. Back then, they had cell phone stores. Yeah. You know, like, that was a big deal. Oh, Beeper. It was a Beeper store. You guys wouldn't like remember. Like the
0: Beeper Emporiums and and. It was a like Beeper, that, but, you know.
1: Yeah. You, I don't know you age your guys, people. Anyway, there were Beepers. And I knew the guy named Bob, and he would come to me with stuff. And, and I'm, I'm starting to move hot items, and I'm doing good. Who the fuck gives a shit about pizza? I said, fuck this pizza fucking business shit. I got to get rid of this fucking thing. How do I get rid of this pizza business? I'm going to burn it down. You could have just sold it? You know, I didn't think it because I didn't give a fuck about it. I wasn't giving a shit about how much money I made in it. Yeah. I just want to get rid of it. I said, fuck, I'll burn the plaza down.
0: You know what's crazy, Larry, is that you want to be legit during this time frame, but a part of you keeps reeling yourself back into like the criminal aspect. Like you go to the military to be legit, but you want to keep doing things on the side you get out, you're doing stuff you want to break away from that, go into a pizza shop and now the crime life's drawing you back in.
1: You know, I'm not, no excuse I <laughs> like the crime life <laughs> yeah. so what happened, I, I have a pizzeria, so I said, how do I get rid of this pizzeria? Fuck it, let me torture it I mean, I'll torture for insurance money well, I was in a plaza <laughs> funny story, I ended up getting caught, but not caught that. Day. I didn't get my insurance money, but I'll tell you what happened, so I'm sitting there and uh, I said, okay, I got to get rid of this pizzeria. So I have a, uh, my wife and I uh, in the pizzeria. She has no idea what's going on. And there's another couple that we know are swingers. So we go, uh, I'm a swinger. So anyway, we go. I'm going to say, that. keep her out of everything. <laughs> and we go to their house at night. And what I did was, I I didn't know this, how good the fire marshals are. I lit the ceiling with a lighter just to see If the the asbestos would light, it doesn't light. But there's a chart mark. I forget about it. It's a week early. So during the night of the pizzeria fire, I said, okay, I'm going to light the garbage can on fire, close the door. It's a Sunday, close the door, and then it'll go. And then I'll get the beeper alert because the alarm went to the beeper and I'll, I'll just go there and, you know, come back. Oh my God, my pizzeria's on fire. And, you know, I'll get my insurance company and be out of business. So I light the, the garbage pair on fire. It's going. I got leave the place. I lock it. We get in the car, and I go to the friend's house to go in the jacuzzi. I'm waiting for this beeper to go off. It never goes off. What the fuck? The beeper's not going off. I'm thinking something's wrong. I'm going to go by the place on the way home. Now it's 11 o'clock, and this is about 8. I go by, and it's like nothing happened. So I I tell my wife, I got to stop at the pizzeria for a second. I owe in. I open the door, and along the wall, it's charred. The fire went out. It didn't even go on. It, it, the fire, it's charred along the wall. I get mad. I take a lighter, and I light the pizza boxes. I have pizza boxes. I light the pizza boxes. I get out, leave, go home. Sure enough, 10 minutes later, you know, your alarm goes off. You, you call your plays. You, you, know, you better get there. Your pizzeria is on fire. I raced down. Isn't I wasn't far, a mile or so, a mile and a half from the pizzeria. I get there. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. My pizzeria. Little do I know, I burned the whole plazas on fire. The rest of the shops. Oh, there was a, 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 a barbecue place. There was a travel agency. There was a beverage store. There was a, like a. A nail shop they're all fucking going there's out.
0: no sprinkler system or anything
1: nah there was none of that shit this and there's the no 80s. cameras
0: to track it or no anything. cameras
1: or no nothing so what now, they didn't really burn to the ground they really got inundated with smoke because the ceilings that you know there was no yeah in between trust it was just it went through the whole entire building uh matter of fact they all liked me because they all made insurance money i didn't well what happened was i ended up getting an insurance adjuster and all that and they put the players that fire out. Fire marshals know that it's a it's an arson. Now, it's not just a, an accident or fire. Boy, I learned that in prison. I know how to burn a building down now from some dudes I knew I was in the joint with. Wait, how did they
0: know it was just an arson?
1: Uh, they, there was three origins of a fire. There was the one I tried on the ceiling, the one along the, su- the wall, and the, the original one. They know. That- so did you get arrested for that? No they they interviewed me they interviewed my ex-wife who was a solid woman you know knows nothing
0: you were at the swingers party <laughs> yeah, was no, well, own, at but... a party yeah right yeah. that was a
1: way you know she had nobody knows anything they knew i mean they knew it's somebody because they asked who had the code to get in and out and the cook had the code and somebody else that a cleaning person had the code you had the code your wife had the code who else had the code because you know i i should have left the door open or something not put the coat on i like, a lot of things i should have did
0: or a break-in like throw a brick through the window something, or something right
1: right right. but the arm would have went off
0: but it's a different time period back then too so totally you couldn't someone couldn't get away with that now i was in prison with a guy that tried to torch up his office space he got 10 years um it was just too easy to connect like the dots oh no it. i could do it now oh now you could well, oh i don't want to hear about it you know, i don't want to tell me. anybody <laughs> online
1: about how to do it I know how to do it now. I, I'll tell you. To, I can tell your audience right now how to burn something down. You'll never know. So Because I was with some of the biggest arson guys in the
0: world. Hey, prison, I, all the guys I talk to, they say it's like the book of connections in prison. Like oh,
1: isn't the, that the That's true? where
0: you learn. I think the, one of the biggest stories that like I remember is that I would be sitting with guys. One guy was in prison for 25 years for a bank robbery, went in with a gun, this and that, got like 50 grand. Then there's another guy talking to him who got like $300,000 and was doing a five-year sentence because all he did was pass a note and say, give me the money. And they're, they're obligated to give the money at that. They said, this is a robbery. The second you add a gun into it or say you have a gun, it changes the ball game and you get that enhancement. So this guy was able to walk in, walk out, and this guy's just studying it. He's taking notes. He's like, this is what I'm going to (laughs) do when I get out. It's fucking crazy. Well,
1: talk about crazy. I was with some guys who did the armored cars and shit. So those guys are really the big boys. I mean, forget banks. Why rob a bank when you can rob the armored car? It's got all the money in it. Or the armored car depot, Yeah, obviously. But I robbed in my career. I I went to the bigger place. I went to Diamonds, where, as you know, I was on TV and uh, talking about they did $136 million in diamonds in a briefcase. Where can you put $136 million in anything without having a hand truck and an 18-wheeler to take it away? Yeah. Only with diamonds. And they had it in the briefcase, and he got away with it. And to this day, they got away with it. So let's get into the diamond aspect. How do you go from this you
0: know, failed attempt at an arson, one of the worst criminals in that regard, to now—
1: like, well, I wasn't, listen, I was an opportunist <laughs> criminal. I mean I, I was also going back and forth to, to Brooklyn, you know, to help with, with business. Yeah. Meaning if they needed somebody to get roughed up something And this something is the like mob. That, yeah. Okay. If they needed somebody to get roughed up or do something, I'd be back in New York. So when are you exposed to your first heist, your jewelry Oh, no, heist? no. Well, my first jewelry robber, I mean, robberies I've been involved in. Yeah. Jewelry robberies was a setup. I was actually, was called in New York and they said, hey, Larry, we got something for you. And this guy wants his jewelry store robbed and get the insurance, and you're going to get the money from the jewels. And this guy's going to get, you know, the insurance money, and we're taking a piece of both actions. You just love it.
0: the insurance angle at this point.
1: Well, you know, I'm thinking I love it. I I didn't get paid.
0: Remember, I never got paid on that, that robbery. <laughs> yeah, but of, you're of thinking the, there's opportunity there.
1: You know, insurance companies are the biggest scumbags in the world. I'm yeah. sorry. Everybody's listening who's in the insurance business. No, I uh, get it. They're, 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 those guys are the real criminals.
0: So, you go to New York to do this? Uh, no, I don't setup. go to
1: New York. The new, the robbery's in Florida. It's in Florida, okay. Right. So, I end up doing this robbery. I, I get the information on a robbery. I knew who's going to be there. I knew everything. I had to make it stage like a real robbery, but I knew where the stuff was going to be. I knew who was going to be in there, how many people were in the store, all the works I needed to know that you would normally do to case the store. So I robbed the store. My first robbery, I make 150k in my pocket. I said, "Wait a minute." They pay, but they paid
0: you. It was a set payment. You knew you. No, were No, no.
1: Depending on if I did it right and everything okay. else, of course. And I got that money. I go, "Oh my god, That's- this is this. this, this I got to do this shit." and i ended up becoming the biggest jewel robber in the united states still known to this day as the biggest jewel robber that had ever been in the united now,
0: states now how old are you when that happens that first that first robbery where
1: 28
0: you- now how did you know like to case a store or what well, to look well again forward? the first one i didn't okay so it was the- trial by error.
1: well the first one was a a uh, setup so i knew there was only going to be one person in there i knew where the stuff was i knew where the the heavy money was in in other words, every jewelry store has a box of diamonds. It's about, looks like a card box. You ever see a a, a bunch of a baseball cards? There's 700 and some players in the major leagues, and it comes in a box, top box about that big. And that's what a, a jeweler's box will look like, but that's all envelopes of diamonds. So I knew where that was. I knew how many people would be in the store. I knew nobody was coming. I knew that the mailman wasn't coming. I knew when he come because this was all the information given to me. Now, since this information was given to me, I end up uh, understanding I need that information for every robbery. See, after the first robbery and I make all this money, I go, wait a minute. This could be real good. You know what I mean? This is my thing. Now, I remember going to New York and say, I'm going to rob. They go, yeah, do you, yeah, go ahead. You don't rob in New York. I wasn't allowed to rob in New York City.
0: Why is that? Because of the mob? Because or-
1: everybody's protected there some way or the other. If I robbed the wrong store, you know, start a war.
0: So where are you robbing? Like, what's your main targets?
1: All over the East Coast. Florida, Georgia, Maryland, Connecticut. I got one right in Bridge- Bridgeport, I think it was.
0: And these are jewelry stores?
1: Jewelry stores. But they're always a wholesaler as well. I wouldn't just rob a jewelry. You got to go where the money is. So if they're a wholesaler, that means they're wholesaling to other jewelers as well as having a storefront themselves. Now walk me through like uh,
0: the day of a robbery, like what what's it like going from beginning to the end.
1: Well, well okay, once you pick your store out, you know what store you're going to rob. Okay, I'm going to rob uh, I don't know, this jewelry store in the corner. I I I case them out for 3 weeks. I know when the mailman's coming, I know when any deliveries are coming, I know who works there, I know what cars they're in. I know what their neighbors cars are like if the it was always in a plaza like a uh, uh, with either an anchor store like a Winn Dixie or a Publix or a big grocery store, because you want to do that because in those stores you could sit and case them and you look normal like you are waiting for your wife. That's you know you know she's shopping and you're waiting for her. Because if it's a lone jewelry store and you're just sitting across the street in a parking lot, somebody's like, "What the fuck is he looking at all day?" I mean, you can't do that. And I had to know when people are coming and going and uh, you know. So all of that is done. The day of the robbery is when I got my myself ready. Now, I had a, a routine. Now, my routine was I would dress, you know, nicely, whether it could be a, a shirt, you know, nice shirt, a college shirt, but always a long sleeve because I had a tattoo. Not as many as I do now, but I had a tattoo. And uh, what I would do was I would have a uh, – it's sometimes a sports jacket, sometimes not. I'd have a pillowcase tucked under under there – That's for getting the jewels. I would have rubber gloves. I would have flex cuffs, which are just, you know, the wire ties, but put together. So you choose them and and tie somebody up. And I had always multiple. I had those in jacket pockets or suit or the pant pockets and everything else. I had my gun in the back. Now I had a BB gun. I didn't use a real gun. So the gun is here. And. I already already went in this place already. The guy knows who I am. He thinks, "Oh, I'm a a builder in the area, and I'm looking to get a wife." So when he walk, I walk, "Hey, Mike," he'd say like that. I had a couple of aliases. "Hey, Mike, how you doing?" "I uh, just come back. I wanted to ask you something about that diamond." I even left other stuff that I had in the jewelry to get cleaned. So I think, "Oh, wow, this guy's real legit." You know, who's gonna leave their jewelry here to come back and get it? You know what I mean? And I would do it. I would get to know him like he thought he knew who he was, and of course, I know when there's going to be people in there or not. So when I come in for the day of the robbery, I might come in with my partner or not. Sometimes I take it down myself, or he would come in and I'd tell him the night before, "Yeah, I think I'm gonna bring my partner. He wants to get something for his girl." Oh, bring him in anytime. So when you walk in with somebody else, it's oh okay. He's oh it's a big sale. Now when I walked into that jewelry store. I know so much already that I know that the counters like these desks might have a buzzer on them. I also know that the jeweler might have a key fob, just like a car key fob, that if he hits that fob, the alarm goes off. So if his hands are in his pocket, I'm sure enough not going to, you know, announce a robbery because he's going to hit the button and then do what you're going to do. No way. What I would do, was I would wait for him to be coming. He would be between maybe two cabinets or whatever. And his hands are out. You know, I see everything's calm. Everybody, I knew where the other person was. Now, if, if my partner's in there and they had another person at the counter, he's already talking to her at the counter. And he's watching her. And I would look and I would make a move, jump the counter. Get out, get out. I'm oh, robbing. Get out, get out. Freak this guy out, man. Fuck, he's on his back. I got him cuffed up. His face is fucking down. Don't move. I'll fucking blow your fucking head off. I'll close your eyes, motherfucker. And he's down on the floor. He's fucking there. Don't don't fucking open those eyes. I'll fucking kill you. He fucking shut him so hard. I'd see him squeeze his eyes. Now, I proceed to take over the whole fucking store. I would now my partner already got that other person down. They're all flex cuffed. Everybody's done. Now, most of these stores had buzzers to go into them. So you had a buzz to get in. I like that because they're letting Larry in because Larry's a good guy. Larry's a, a customer. Now, Larry fucking flipped to be fucking, you know, you know <laughs> I go from, <laughs> you know, a nice guy to, you know, Darth Vader or some shit. And now anybody else wants to come in, they have to hit the buzzer to get in, you know, knock. And I would let them in. I would walk up to the door. Hit the buzzer because you know where to buzzer. Open up. Come on in. Oh, it's a robbery. Oh, get over here. One time I had 10 people tied up. Oh, wow. In a fucking store.
0: Now, how are you doing this with no mask on?
1: None. But I would alter my face. Uh, I had hair <laughs> at the yeah. time. Uh, I would sometimes wear glasses. I never wore glasses at the time. So I would wear glasses and it would be clear. Or I would... Uh, always had. I used to always have a goatee, mustache, or something. So now I'm clean shaven. I would sometimes put a band aid somewhere, and people would get distracted. Did you know? Out of all the robberies, the- first of all, if anybody knows anything, eyewitness description is is the most unreliable <laughs> description there is, Period, and it is true for a fact. Yeah, they had me at six foot two, 160 pounds with red hair. They had me at five foot four at three hundred pounds at you know black. I mean they went from one extreme to the other and I used to laugh and, and get in the newspaper. The description of the man was six foot four to I'm five foot fucking nine. I've I'm not I've not grown or shrunk since,
0: you know. There's no cameras in these jewelry stores?
1: When they had cameras, I used to take
0: them. Oh, you would take the okay Yeah,
1: see back then they didn't have the cameras where they would be off. So, you couldn't do this
0: now, like what you're. You
1: can, but there's a way to do it.
0: No, we don't want to know about that. Again, I
1: I actually went over this one time with somebody. Yeah. Uh, But listen, where there's a will, there's a way. Of course. Obviously. But back then, I used to take the whole machine. Matter of fact, there's a video of me robbing a cigar store on my site. And I explain at the end what that person can do to prevent a robbery just from a professional like me. Yeah, and it's really good. He goes, "Oh shit, I didn't know that. Oh shit, I didn't know that." Now,
0: as this like professional jewel thief, do you have like principles? Like what? What Absolutely. are your rules? Absolutely. What are your rules? Yeah,
1: my, my rules. I was not. I was never going to hurt somebody in a robbery. Uh, that was off the table. I wasn't going to shoot somebody. I mean, I threaten them and make it. A, but I'm not going to blow. <laughs> I had one guy, and I think it was Marietta, Georgia, and I I, I had his, him and his wife were in the store. I said, "I'm gonna kill her." He goes, "Go ahead." What do you say to God? <laughs> and it was like, what the fuck? I mean, like you know. Then I ended up grabbing him by the hair or something. And I said, I'll just, I uh, fucking, I'll just fucking cut one of your fingers off, or, or you know, whatever, whatever I came up with that that worked. But it was like he didn't give a shit about his fucking wife. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what they talked about after that robbery. You know, <laughs> 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 he was probably cheating. Yeah, sure. I, I, I think it was more than that. But anyway, yeah. So I mean most people Are gonna give it up but my goal we weren't gonna Hurt anybody in a robbery that was not That was off the table so that was your number one Rule yeah because you know I was a professional I wasn't there to hurt somebody I did my share of hurt In in other ways and I look at this And I, I justify my whole life like This I never hurt somebody Who wasn't in my business Like if you were a drug dealer Or if you were in the mob business You robbed from us or you did something like uh, You were a bookmaker trying to you know, take away from the boss. I did some bad things to people. I laid guys' arms on curbs and snapped them like a piece of wood and the bone coming out the, out the skin. I did some bad things to people I'm not proud of, but uh, I never hurt somebody who wasn't in my business or our business. Like you kept innocent bystanders. Yeah, and, and you know, listen, the jewelry guy, people say, oh, that's bullshit, bullshit liar. You're right. They were a victim. A truck driver was a victim, but he wasn't hurt.
0: It wasn't a physical victim. It was,
1: yeah. Don't get me wrong. I do understand there's the aspect of fear and and, and trauma you put into somebody. And I just hope they get over it. Because in life, a lot's going to happen to you. If you're going to let fucking something like that ruin you for the rest of life, it's not me that's just going to ruin it. It's the next guy that's going to ruin it. Do you, on that topic. Or somebody else is going to ruin it.
0: Do you think, like, the fear that they faced was the same fear you may have faced when you ended up in, like, federal penitentiaries later on? Was it like a similar mindset?
1: uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know what people go through. I know the way I grew up. Everybody has fear in them. It's how you handle your fear, whatever that fear is. Uh, You know, but fear is a good thing. It fucking heightens the nerves. It gets you ready to go. It gets your defense mechanisms ready. I like when I'm edgy. You know, I, I feel sharper. I feel I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do things. Uh, you know, I, I think people shy away from a lot of that, and they live a very mundane life. Now, mind you, I'm not telling how people should live. You couldn't do it. You you lived on the edge and what whatever you did because that's what hit you hits you excited you. That's what made you. I hate to say it, gave you a fucking heart on. You know. I mean, that's what it was
0: though, because like when I got to prison, like I was still doing shit that like gave me like that that rush you know like that like i didn't i didn't need money in prison like i had my dad and stuff in prison to support me but like i did shit that got me into trouble and put me in dangerous environments because it was that rush like the same rush of like sneaking people past the fire marshal at the nightclub and then like in prison like trying to smuggle in phones or doing anything like you know, that you know
1: it sounds so mundane to me Sneaking people past the fire marshal. <laughs> I'm fucking taking people and t- throwing them down and tying up 10 fucking people. Yeah. And <laughs> breaking guys' arms up going near, tell them, I had to sneak people past the fire marshal. That's what I did. <laughs> but, but you know what, Ian? It, it's right. It, whatever it takes for you to get that, I call it a high. You know, people ask me about drugs, and I've done every drug in the book, but there's no better high I ever had in my life than winning in a jewelry robbery. Like, you know, I used to want to be a fly on the wall. I've done the best drugs in the world. The best I've ever done. I talk about was in Atlanta when I did four hits of acid and floated out of the prison, <laughs> literally fucking floated. Who does acid in a prison cell? But me. Yeah. A lot of us did. But my point is I literally, Ian, uh, uh, it's that that adrenaline rush that of robberies that, that did it for me. I've, it was a rush when I was in that car, knowing I was away. I wanted to be a fly on that wall so bad, you know. Oh, that's how fire people get get caught, you know, uh, arsonists. Yeah, are sitting there watching the fire. Uh, I wasn't gonna do that. One robbery I committed. I did read. I used to read the papers afterwards to uh, see what people were yeah. saying. One robbery, I robbed a place in Sarasota, and these two old people came in. Now. I would never uh, uh, hurt people. I told you. So these two old people, I remember, I remember the robbery very well. It was next to a dive shop, like like you know, not a di- like a you know scuba dive shop, and it was the, always a somewhat busy place because I like that. That's what was good. So I'm in the store, and these two old people walk in. Right? They buzz. I buzz them in. And I open up my jacket and, and they go, oh, and they were going to get on it. I said, no, 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 no. Come with me. Just come with me. I put them in a chair. I faced the wall. Didn't tie them up. I never gagged anyone either, Ian, because I was always worried if someone gagged and, and you suffocated, they could die. So I put these people, I said, face the wall. Didn't tie them up. Didn't do anything. I said, I'll I'll be out of here, don't worry, everybody's good, I'm just getting these diamonds, he owes me this, or some bullshit, I said, whatever it is, and the lady, I said, now you can't move until I leave for five minutes, and they go, okay, okay, in fact, the guy who worked for me at the time, Jimmy, who since died, he fucked up, he goes back, comes back, he screws up, we're going, and I look like fucking the Keystone fucking robbers, I got so mad at him, and I, I came back in the store. I said, I'm just checking on you. I'm just checking <laughs> on you. Oh, no, we're not going to move. Well, the next day, in the, I get away. The next day in the newspaper, it's uh, they interviewed her, and they go, oh, he was a nice man. <laughs> <laughs> I got about 800000 out of the robbery, and, but he was a nice man. you know. I never mm-hmm. want to hurt people, and I don't. I really have, I am very, very protective of you young kids and elderly. As you know, I take care of my mother who's 90 Uh, or kids. If it's adults, I don't give a fuck what you do. You know, and I say that because, listen, I've been in more fights than I can ever count. Won a lot, lost some. Anybody who says they never lost a fighter, you know what I tell them? You didn't fight the right guy because everybody loses a fight. When you fight, is my yeah, real fighter. So I, I sit and talk to people, and I said to people, "Is uh, you know, if if you robbed me, you might run into me. You might get a fight. If you beat me, great. You know, but you're gonna know you That's why I don't like pick on me. Don't pick on an old lady. Don't pick on a kid. You know, or even weak people. I don't like when people pick on weak people." Yeah, you know that's. I'm not a bully. I never was a bully. I want to help people. I always did. That was just, I think that's the underlying where I I consider myself a decent guy. <laughs> Wrong or right? Uh, and I and I want to continue that. You know, I never want that not to happen. You know, I I see that in you. Thanks, I Larry. Do. I, I do. You know, uh, got to know you driving to my death spot over here. I'm not and, so bad, huh? <laughs> yeah. I'm on my way expected. to murder. I'm on the way to get whacked, and you know, usually <laughs> you know about the guy. <laughs> now, did you
0: ever have any like botched robberies where like you guys are almost caught or it goes wrong?
1: No, I had a robbery where I stopped it. I was the kind of guy who was such a professional uh, that if 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 it wasn't right, I would call it off. I didn't care how much time it took me or whatever. I was going to rob twelve million out of the Bahia Mall Hotel, not the Bahia Mall uh, Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami. It was a $12 million robbery. I was going to kidnap the guy and put dynamite on him and keep his family hostage. I was planned to the T. In fact, it was so planned, we was in the bushes. And I called it off because a dog was going crazy. And I thought maybe that dog spotted something or the owner might have spotted something, saw something, and then it would have been a whole different animal. And I called it off. And it goes back to that as a really good move because looking back, once you did that, that's kidnapping. There's no statute of limitations. <laughs> but that's
0: well. what a professional does. He analyzes that. So you're a professional on that level. Oh, there's no
1: question I was a professional. Now,
0: what about your accomplices? Like, were there ever situations where maybe they didn't share your same principles? No,
1: no, no. I ran the shit.
0: So you you were always in charge? There was Let no Let me tell you how you.
1: how it was. You know, we'd party. You couldn't even drink or party or anything when I'm doing a robbery. I mean, I had my rules. One time we were done with a robbery successful in New York and these guys brought out some drugs. I tried it. I took the pistol out of my, my belt I put a pistol at their head and I said, if you both come around here again with this, I'll kill you both. And they knew I was for real. And they, and they, and they knew when I said something, I meant it. And I wouldn't say it. But I didn't mean it. It was a drug. I think it was crack at the time. And I didn't something didn't touch me right, whatever you want to call it. And I've done heroin. I've done, I've done every drug from PCP and I'm not one of these, oh, you do heroin, you're going to be a, an addict for life. That's such bullshit. We have, we have, let me tell you how fucked up America has gotten the drug business. First of all, the drug war with Ronald Reagan was the biggest mistake the country ever made. Second, the United States has been lying to people. First of all, you know what the food pyramid is? No. Okay, there's a thing called the food pyramid. It's where you're supposed to eat this much grain. This oh, you know, grain. we saw that in school. Yeah. Did you know that that's supposed to be upside down and the heart association knew about that since the 1970s? What? Reversed? Reversed. Okay. And the heart association knew about it. Secondly, did you know LSD? You know what LSD is? Yep. You know, know what mushrooms are. Yep. Do you know they're being used to this day right now as one of the best PTSD remedies in the, in the world? Right now it's being used in the University of uh, uh, Mississippi and a bunch of stuff, and it's legal in some states, first of all, mushrooms, and they're used for PTSD. They gave, and your audience can go look it up, they gave a study, they gave two military units uh, LSD, and they gave them the same mission, and the one on LSD did it twice as fast with half the uh, mistakes is the one not on it. The reason the military didn't use it was they couldn't control the people afterwards.
0: Which is why you said no drugs
1: to your crew. Right. I mean, I knew I, I needed to have full control of everything I did, but drugs, listen, drugs are a choice, obviously, but everybody, you know, we've been lied to so much by so much we are all adults and everybody has to pick and choose what they believe is right and wrong and do their due diligence and research and stuff. Cause I do that. You could tell me the greatest thing and I'm going to research it. But if anybody ever comes to me and says, Oh, I don't like drugs. And then they drink. Then you got that wrong because alcohol is the worst drug in the world. And that's been proven time and time again, it causes more damage. It, it, it causes more, uh, uh, uh medical uh, issues than anything. You ever see a guy smoke pot and get violent? No. Guy drinks, he gets violent. So, I mean, can you imagine a couple of guys smoking pot wanting to fight? They're going to oh, fight what? They're going to fight over the remote control to uh, with the popcorn or for the TV? They're going to
0: fight over the snacks. Exactly.
1: I mean, they're not fighting.
0: Now, with the heist, say you take like 500,000, right? Just say, sure. put that figure out. How does that get divided up between you and the crew?
1: Okay. Depending on the job, how much time they did and stuff like that. First of all, about 10% of all my robberies always went right up to the top. To the mob? Or? To, my, to the mob, my okay. boss. Boom. Didn't even think about it. Which isn't that much, 10%.
0: Uh, it take, <laughs> Well, I guess there's no risk on their part. Yeah,
1: so. it take, you know, take 300000 you get 30000 Okay. Easy. <laughs> Easy money. <laughs> Not a fucking thing. But here's what people don't understand. As a mob associate, I needed the mob. Because if I didn't have the mob, then other families, I was associated with the Gambino crime family. If I wasn't associated with them, another family would take me hostage, and trust me, you'd get it. Uh, I don't know. I am I don't know how to say this without being not... I'm not proud of it, but if you read my book, Gangster Redemption, I tortured a man in it. And I often tell people, I love people who tell me, Larry, oh, I'll never give it up. <laughs> Trust me if I want something out of you Ian you will fucking give it to me if I get you in the position I want you to be in and I will get you in that position you know whether it's with a gun to get you there or whatever I tie you in a chair take your pants down to your knees your shirt and you're naked and this happened it's in the book and I want something I take an iron you're gonna give you give your mother up Yeah, I don't give a shit who it is you're gonna give them up it's just I tell people, you got me, you got me. You get it. I'm I'm not, you know, not going to say it, but don't let me get out because if I can't catch you, then, you know, then I win. But I love those, oh, I'll never give it up. Oh, I'll never say, listen, with the right pressure, the right stuff, people are going to say. So that,
0: that 10% goes to the mob. How's the other 90?
1: Well, it, it goes mostly 50% me. Okay. And then I delve out the depending on how many people I had with me. Sometimes I had one or two people with me. Sometimes the, the, the job was set up by somebody I have to pay off, you know, or tipped off by somebody I had to pay off. Uh, the guys were making 50, 80, 100 grand a pop, the guys that were working for me.
0: Are you ever worried these guys could get pinched on an unrelated job and, and flip on you? No. You, but, you just you had that trust. Not an in unrelated
1: them. job because they wouldn't dare do an unrelated job. They could get pinched on something else, and, drugs, yeah. stupidity, or whatever. No, but they
0: were just solid guys. That-
1: Listen, to this day, nobody ever, nobody ever snitched on me. I was caught by the major case squad from Quantico, Virginia, mm-hmm. the best <laughs> fucking people on the planet. And I love when people think, "Oh, the FBI is stupid." The FBI is the smartest organization you'll ever fucking run against. And they got all the money in the world. Unlimited. And all the time in the world. So how do you. (laughs) And you know that. (laughs) How do you get on the FBI's radar then? Well, little. I did not know this at the time. Who got me on the FBI's radar is the uh, insurance companies. From these
0: jewelry. stores. Yeah.
1: You know, I robbed so much. I robbed between 15 and 18 million, probably more
0: dollars worth you made in your yeah, career probably
1: more okay uh but so the insurance companies are like who the fuck is this guy <laughs> what the fuck i had the same
0: mo these are going on did you have like a signature i'm curious about that uh, you like not,
1: left well yeah i mean no not a signature that I left but i did rob a clock a cl- every time yeah
0: you oh, know man. i don't know
1: what it was it was like funny <laughs> stupid shit Like, like, uh, it could be, not a a grandfather clock, of course, something big, but it would be a clock. I actually have one in my office now. Do you think that was your downfall? No, 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 not at all. So the
0: FBI never caught up on the clock? No. (laughs) That's funny.
1: No, what, what, what it was is the same MO. And little did I know, Ian, that they were actually flooding an area with agents after I did a job with the same MO. And they were confiscating all the cameras... From the Wawa stores, the 7-Elevens, they actually had me on a video buying a cup of coffee at a Wawa store in Savannah, Georgia. Before the thing Right, before the robbery. So they placed me at the facility, at the place and everything. So they knew their shit. But did they have a name to the face? No. Okay. That's that's why once they got it.
0: Now were your prints in the system
1: though? With n- the well, you were in my system, yes. because but, of the military. Right? Yes, but I never left print. Pl- oh, you never then. left print? No, and I was arrested since then too. I mean, I was arrested during that. I was re- my rap sheet's pretty bad. I, I actually, but you had, never served like real
0: prison time until
1: not had, that much time. right yeah. you know, just you know, ins and yeah, outs. Yeah, ins and outs. Bullshit. Okay. Now they actually had a palm print of me. From of, this height, of type. jumping a, a, a counter, but I didn't know. Again, until they caught me, they couldn't do anything. With
0: but that. when you're canvassing these places, you're not wearing gloves when you're going in to talk to the guy. Never
1: touch the thing.
0: You never. You're very cautious.
1: Very cautious. That
0: that's crazy. In
1: fact, that was so good. One place I didn't know, I put crazy glue
0: on your fingertips. on my fingertips. Just, and that worked.
1: Oh, yeah, because you're filling in all the gaps. Oh, wow. You know, with, with this, and, and you do that. So when, it's clear. When's it's it, weird, though, too. <laughs>
0: so they find you on this camera. What happens next? How
1: does that escalate? They don't find me on a camera. What do you mean? Well,
0: like, they watch you. They see, they have a, a, a face now. They know who
1: you they, are, they, but they don't no, know the name. No, they never got me on camera.
0: No, like, at the Wawa, getting the coffee. Oh, oh no, that's only after the fact. Okay. Oh, that was after the fact. When
1: I was arrested. Okay. See, how I was arrested was, I did a, a robbery in Fairless Hills, Pennsylvania. Nope. You probably know where it is, Pennsylvania. I know, but it's near here. It's not too far. It's outside of Philly. It's Pennsylvania. And uh, so I do this robbery, and the guy, we unbeknownst to us, there was a robbery of the air conditioning unit on the top of the building three weeks before. I don't know this. Well, somebody heard the commotion in the store and went up to the store. And, Ian, when they went up to the store, they... They cup their hand like this to look in. You know, now I know we're made. And I said, go, go, go. So we run. The fucking guy gets out of cuffs. Now, I have guns. I already took six guns of his and put them in my bag. Bam, a shot flies by my head. The window shatters. Holy fuck. We're running out the store. What saved my life, what saved me forever? life We never shot back or anything. So I had a BB gun, remember? Yeah. So anyway, I jump in the car, and my partner, and my brother, he jumps in the car in the passenger seat. The, the, the jewelry's in the back seat. Normally we put it in a trunk, but it's in the back seat. Now, when I pulled up to this jewelry store, I'm facing the jewelry store. So the guy runs out of the jewelry store levels the gun right at my fucking head. Shoots it. I duck. He shoots it. It goes through the windshield, dead center. Goes through my... Grazes my head. Blood come tripling down. And it goes in my brother's back into his arm. Oh, shit. And he goes, I'm hit. I'm hit. I get away. Oh. Oh. We had the... Again, the getaway is perfect. I mean, very planned. No, and we're getting on the uh the turnpike. We gotta get to New Jersey. Now I gotta get back to Brooklyn. I have a rent a car from Florida. So they don't have the 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 registration on the windshields or any like New York has or any of that shit. Yeah. But anyway, there's a bullet hole dead fucking in the middle of the window. My brother's on the on the uh passenger side. I'm hit, I'm hit. I said, I'll drop you off the hospital. No, no, get back to the thing. I look in the mirror. And I got a trickle of blood coming down my head. And I go like this. It's just fucking, you know, a graze wound. I'm all right. Fucking, you know, fucking blood. Now, I got to go to the first toll. I got a fucking bullet hole right in the middle of the windshield. What do you do?
0: And there's no easy pass back then either. No easy pass, <laughs> right?
1: So uh, what do you do? I pull up behind an 18-wheeler. The 18-wheeler pulls through. I follow the 18-wheeler. And go past the gate, you know, the, the window. Now the guy you can see was oblivious. And on the radio, this is how close. I swear to my children, you hear, be on the lookout for a, a robbery of a late model. And they just stripped in a car. Guy didn't pay attention one bit. So I knew he didn't, you know, there's not a question he didn't know. And I gave him the money. I had the exact change ready. Because that made us all plan. Yeah. And I go. And I got on the turnpike. And I'm fucking. I get to New York. I get to Brooklyn. Once I'm in Brooklyn, I feel because oh. I'm in my home. Above Brooklyn, we have two apartments, so we bring my brother up there. We patch them up. What are we gonna do? I'm cleaned up. I, we send the car to Brooklyn Auto Glass to get the fucking windshield fixed. It's got a million dollars in jewelry. Half of it was so you got the jewelry too. Yeah, but not as much. So maybe it was a I don't know three quarters of a million. No, no, no. It wasn't even that maybe a quarter million dollars and in shit in, 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 in the trunk because we had to leave early because we were running. Brooklyn Auto Glasses, this is gangster territory, man. They don't give a shit. They don't look at anything, fix the wheelchair. That's the end of the deal. My brother, we fix up. We end up, call. I call a couple of friends of mine in Florida. Gonna, now, this is pre nine eleven, so you can get on a plane with money and a phony name. Don't mean shit. Go up to the counter, John Smith, blah, blah, blah. Pay the thing. You get on a plane. You go. Yeah. Nobody gave a shit. So we go in there and we send my brother back to Florida. And I'm I call a few guys to get him the bullet taken out of him. So we, we can't call you know police or anything, uh, a hospital. So my friend sets up a veterinarian to take a fucking bullet out of my brother. This
0: is a fucking scene out of a movie, like Oh, it
1: totally is. <laughs> we don't do that. My mother, who's a nurse ends up taking care of my brother. Yeah, And we tell my mother, hey, Ma, Davy's on his way home. He has a bullet in him, and you got to take care of him, but you can't go to the hospital because you know I got a wreck it. You know, I had a wreck it. And you can't, you know, I don't want to go to jail. We're playing with guns in the bar. My mother is the sweetest, to this day, is the sweetest, most, I don't know, I won't say naive, but woman who just, you know, is like, not you know what i mean doesn't want to know shit maybe yeah and uh she takes care of my brother but she goes no we're leaving the bullet in there to this day my brother has a bullet in his arm oh wow to this day it's in here right here
0: did she know what you guys were involved with too not
1: at that time she had no idea no okay no no no. she knew it was pretty crazy you know
0: yeah but not she was better not knowing
1: yeah oh no 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 i i remember once putting a million dollars of jewelry on a bed and and, and my dad used to hide money and shit for me. And, set, and I said, What do you think? I go, Call mommy. in so my mother walks in. She sees all this jewelry. She goes, Oh my God. Ooh, this is nice. <laughs> How hard was it to
0: fence the jewelry, too?
1: Well, see, that's where my, my real connection came so in. So you had
0: like a guy that you would bring it to, and he most
1: people it. get caught with a fence. Okay. I, had, I could get rid of Matter of fact, when I was going to do a $12 million job, I called the guys. I said, Listen. I got something big. Uh, it's I once I mentioned the store name, it's called H Stern Jewelers. I said they go, oh they knew it. I go it's about twelve million. They go gotcha. They go my end would have been about four million, maybe five million, depending on what what was taken exactly. They go all right, right, will give you two million up front, million a million, and we'll work it out. I said because if if I did that robbery, the one I told you about, I didn't do, I would have had to leave the country for sure, and I knew that. Uh, just because the heat would have been so heavy, so much. You know, kidnapping, a bomb, the whole. I mean, it would have been it would have been a big one. Yeah. Uh, not that they all weren't big, but it would have been real big. I mean, I had that one so down pat that I had Molotov cocktails set up that we were going to throw, and we tested them and threw them to an area so the cops would all be diverted to a certain area.
0: Yeah, so you had all your ducks in a row covered. <laughs> so your brother gets patched up and stuff. How does this lead to, like, you guys getting
1: caught? Well, we don't know it at the time. The FBI floods the area. Now the newspaper articles on that one, oh, Oh, what is a man shooting out? In the, you know, they were mad at the owner for shooting because he could have killed somebody else. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. Uh, anyway, and uh, but the FBI came in. They they confiscate not only cameras. They interviewed a jeweler that I uh, uh, cased his store beforehand. And he goes, oh, there was a nice man in here. And I was going to sell him a ring. And I got his license plate number. Which is the rental. Which is the rental. And the rental wasn't even under me. It was a guy who worked for me who was 350 pounds. Wow. And I'm uh, 100 and no, 200 pounds. But I was the co-driver.
0: And they're starting to put the pieces together.
1: Now, once they look me up, yeah. and now they know who I am and they oh shit organized crime background they knew that already and they because i got stopped going to atlantic city with thirty five thousand dollars of cash fell out of my trunk of my glove compartment and i had eight grams of coke and that's that, when you're finally arrested no that was another time oh, okay but so so they no. had
0: their man you're the target you're probably now they really,
1: went hmm. to every one of these jewelry owners is this the guy oh yeah this is the guy so now, they
0: pinned you to all those robbers well they pinned me
1: I ended up getting indicted. I had the most indictments out of most prisons I was in. I was indicted in four different federal districts. A East, a Middle District of Florida, Eastern District of Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Southern District of Georgia. And,
0: and it's a federal case because you're crossing st- state oh, lines. Man,
1: it's called Hobbs Act, interfering with interstate commerce, <laughs> which makes it a RICO. So when did you get arrested? I get arrested about... 40 to 50 days after the robbery. And how old are you? 34. Okay. I don't, I know, listen, when the robbery came and everything happened, I got everything out of my house, made sure nothing's there, had the kids, I had the kids in the neighborhood on my side. Listen, I, I built this neighborhood. I was I was a robber in the neighborhood. So kids were watching out for vans, anything. And, and then they tipped me off. So my wife ends up, I have a 15-month-old baby at the time, you and my wife goes out and she uh, goes to the store. She goes, I think I was followed. I go, what do you mean you followed? Okay. And it's a Monday. Now I lived in a nice area and there's a cul-de-sac right at the end of the cul-de-sac. And uh, so at the time, things are back to normal. It's five o'clock. It's a Monday. I got bookmaking. I was the biggest bookmaker in, from South Florida, from Fort Lauderdale all the way to Orlando.
0: While doing the jewelry heist, yeah,
1: I had so many businesses: I had vending machine companies, nightclubs, and that's or,
0: how you clean the money and stuff. Exactly. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, you know too much about this. <laughs>
0: Watch a lot of Ozark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how about like? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so anyway, I uh, I I got guys coming up as a Monday to 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 pick up tickets to do that kind of stuff and clear the books, and I had a, a matter of fact, I had a neighbor who used to bring me hot lobsters. You know, know, like stolen lobster, beautiful lobster tails and I'd fucking be cooking steak and Delmonico steaks and lobsters every fucking five days a week. I mean, it was crazy. I had a cook that was a fucking corrupt guy. And you have a nice house
0: too. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Does your wife know who you
1: are? She knows
0: some but not to the extent. Totally no, but she knows enough. So She's young.
1: My wife is a, I'm (laughs) you know, my second wife I was 31. She was 19 when I met her. 19? Yeah, she was 12 years younger than me. Oh, wow. You know, the hot, little hottie there and all that shit. <laughs> so I end up, uh, it's a Monday, and she, now I have a 15-month-old baby, my daughter. My son's six, he's seven. He's in New York with my, my first wife. And she goes to the mailbox at the end of the cul de and scream, I hear. Now, at that time, you'll know, love this. This is 1996. I have a computer. What the fuck was a computer back then? I spent five grand for a modem and all this crazy shit. You wouldn't even know what it is. Yeah. And uh, I end up saying, I hear, they're coming. And I jump out of my seat and I turn around, go towards the back of my house, and the fucking ninja guys are coming around the fucking jacuzzi (laughs) and the shit, and the fucking through the patio. The fucking door flies open, the ninja people. There's a helicopter over my fucking house. And they get me. And uh, it was funny because they didn't even tell the police in the local police because I had them on, on the hook. Don't they? Need I'm to- the godfather of the mayor's kid. Wow. So, I thought they
0: needed to have local police when the feds are doing. Hell like no. They knew
1: I owned the fucking local police. Wow. Literally. So
0: they drag you out in handcuffs.
1: They get me out and put me on the curb. They weren't bad. They, listen, the FBI and, and the who caught me is the FBI and marshals and shit. Pleasant people. What I got to say is they were professionals. Yeah. They didn't try to do anything bad to me. They didn't. In fact, I had about three or four grand in my pocket. They let me give it to my wife. They let me give the Rolex to the wife. I got great sneakers. I know I'm going to jail to fight. So here's my sneakers. Get my rich shitty sneakers. Man, I know the game. And I've been to Rikers. I've been a Dade County Jail. I know the game. Yeah. So uh, they let me. Do all that. But you don't know what you're pinched for at this Oh, point. I know. I, yes. You know it. Oh, okay. They, they, I mean.
0: You know that they had hard in evidence. In fact, let me
1: tell you how good the FBI is. They had a warrant for excessive cash, jewelry, jewelry uh, paraphernalia, scales, and stuff like that. I had a nine-foot oak bar, right, in my living room. And when you come in and go to the living room, I had probably three eight balls of Coke there, weed, bookmate. They didn't give a fuck, left it there, didn't take it, didn't even comp, didn't call anybody, didn't give a shit. They got me. That's what they came for. And that's it. Yeah. And, and listen, the FBI, I will to this day, they know their fucking shit. Don't and anybody comes to me and says, oh, the FBI is stupid. Are you fucking an idiot? They just don't
0: want you yet. They build their, I mean like with me When I got arrested, they didn't search my house They didn't search my office Yeah, they had all the info, there's nothing else to do When you see them doing like those stage things Pulling out the boxes and stuff Like that's all, a lot of it's like the show It's funny,
1: when you get a dude who comes up to you goes, Yeah, the FBI They raided my house And they come home and they go, yeah, but they didn't have enough evidence I go, you're ratting (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, If the FBI or DEA Comes into your house And arrest you. Their case is built. It ain't no fucking, oh, we're hoping to find something. They don't arrest you for the hell of it. (laughs) They don't do that, man. They don't waste money. And you'll hear many guys, oh, they yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Because then I know. And a lot
0: of times they already have you. They want to just leave you out there to entrap other people. Fucking
1: right. They know what they're doing. Are you
0: the only one that gets arrested out of your crew?
1: I am the only one ever indicted on my crew. Out of a RICO act And so no one else goes down with you Nobody ever Six years later my brother gets arrested For the same thing Well for these crimes Because his ex-wife told on him
0: Oh my god don't get married <laughs>
1: That's a great line Don't get married <laughs> he's, he's right. You can laugh on that one
0: no, Everyone's taking notes in here right Yeah, now.
1: Don't get married you hear that
0: <laughs> So do you? I'm, I'm guessing they don't give you bond no bail. Well, you know,
1: it's a funny story about Bond. My, you know, I, I've appeared in court before. I'm not a virgin with the system. So we go in front of the court. And this is why I often tell, as a guy who's got his law degree now, I tell people, don't ever give up your Bond hearing. Here's what happened. So we go to Bond hearing, and uh, my lawyer sits up and says, Your Honor, you know, there's only two reasons a person doesn't get Bond. If you're a flight risk or you're a threat to the community. It's the only two reasons. Sure enough, my lawyer gets up and says, Your Honor, I represented Mr. Lawton in New Jersey on a case with drugs. He flew back and forth. This man is not a flight risk. This is a paid attorney. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No He's not a flight risk. And this is a federal judge now. This is all big shit. You know, it's a whole different animal. Different you- ballgame than <laughs> the state. You know, you ain't talking about people. You're talking people who could arrest the president. They yeah. don't give a fuck. So the judge is going, yeah, and he goes, and, you know, they're saying violence, but this, you know, uh, the fucking feds freak. She goes, well, you know, I have to, the, the U.S. attorneys jump, your honor, your honor, this man is involved with the Gambino crime family. We have more evidence. He's going to be an indicted in four more cases. Oh, God. I went back into seat. And so you thought
0: of, you had a chance to make oh, it out? because if I was getting bond
1: in, you're done.
0: I'm gone. I'm flying. Do they seize your assets at all, or no?
1: No, they didn't. No. Um, yes, they did.
0: <laughs> they did. They took everything. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, they seized. They when they take, they don't. They don't take it physically. They you just can't seize Yeah. It. You yeah. can't. You can't liquidate. You can't do certain things. Yeah. Uh.
0: So you don't get bond. What What's going on? Next? Well, I don't get bond right mm-hmm. now.
1: Fuck. I because if I got bond, I'm flying. I'm 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 jumping. I'm jumping. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I'm jumping behind, man. I know it because I knew it would have come. But they knew. That's how I knew how much they had. And uh, I end up getting kidnapped. I say kidnapped because the feds come get me at three in the morning. I'm at Miami. I'm in Miami. i called the FTC, uh, Federal Detention Center. In, in That downtown. they have in like every
0: state. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Downtown Miami. And three, you know, one in the morning to fucking get on the They take me, get on a plane. They gave me diesel therapy. You went on Con Air? Oh, I've been on Conair sixteen times. Great trip, man. Sixteen in black boxes. Yeah, I they didn't play with me, so because you know one I had a bad record. Yeah. 2 of them in penitentiaries. You know it's 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 a different animal. I used to want to fuck. Look at that. I remember they used to put us because we had black box in front of the girls, the back by right behind the, the girls, and in front of. You ever been on Conair? Yeah. I tell
0: that story all the time. My one trip they put me through diesel therapy. I went from New Jersey to Philly, to Danbury, to Brooklyn. To Oklahoma. To uh, Oklahoma, to Chicago, then to Wisconsin. It was the worst trip ever. Oklahoma sucks.
1: Uh, I've been in Oklahoma so many times. Uh, <laughs> I was there with the Indian was there. You weren't there. There was an Indian guard there. He'd rape you out of the fucking goddamn fucking take you out of that fucking line. You know, when you get off the plane and yeah. you line up the whole wall. He took a motherfucker. This guy was about six foot six, 300 fucking big Indian guard from Oklahoma. They call him Chief. That motherfucker was badass motherfucker. But I've been in Oklahoma so many times. So what was the final charge that you were charged with? I was charged with racketeering. It was
0: one count? or No, no, no.
1: Hobzack robbery. Four counts. Four counts of Hobzack robbery, racketeering. Four counts of uh, uh, interfering with interstate commerce under the Hobzack. Robbery. Four counts with armed robbery. And how much time Five. are you facing? Well, I was facing life in prison.
0: And your lawyer tells you this? Yeah. Is he trying to get you to make a deal? Like throw people nah, my under? my lawyer
1: fucked me. I ended up fucking want to kill him. <laughs> my lawyer, so... He, you know why they call lawyers sharks? Let's hear this one. Because they feed off the weak. They feed off people who are in trouble. So true. I get a phone call. I don't get a phone call. I call home from the jail. Now I am in 6th and market, but now they hold you at... Farrington, New Jersey, or Schoolkill, Pennsylvania, is where they hold you when you're down here. Back in those days, and I, 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 get, I call my wife at the time. She's young. She's twenty, whatever, and she had a baby, and she's crying. Oh my God, I'm never going to see you. Oh, what the fuck are you talking about? She goes, Keith called me. Said he needs another hundred grand or fifty grand. I think I gave him fifty grand to start. Another 50 grand. This is a lawyer. Co- yeah, because you're, you're never getting out because you're facing life and it's in the newspapers because it came out in the newspapers, all this shit. Organized crime involved in in, in uh, uh, jewelry and all that kind of shit.
0: And to make it look uh, sexy. Uh, of
1: course did. So, fuck it is. So fucking she's crying. I go, he said what? Meaning I'm going to kill this motherfucker. How do you call my wife and ask for more money? I already gave you 50 grand. You did nothing but one fucking bail hearing, motherfucker. You need another 50 grand. Before fucking being blank, you call my wife? I get a fucking counselor call. And I'm in the counselors. You know about counselors. So I go in the counselor, and I don't give a shit. You motherfucker. I'm going to kill you if I get out of here. You better give her fucking money. Give her 40000 back. If you fuck up. I... The counselor's looking at me. I don't give a shit. You know, I'm fucking done. You know, I don't care. Now, it's not recorded, obviously, because it's counts counselor's phone. Yeah. And I end up fucking uh, firing him. I don't know what to do. Luckily, my mob connections, I get a fucking visit.
0: Oh, this is a classic movie scene right now. Yeah,
1: I get a visit. I get a visit. I'm thinking, oh, fuck. Because, you know, if you get a visit, you don't know who it is. Uh-oh, it's fed, something else. Something. That's when I got indicted again. That was another one. But anyway, I get a visit. Okay. Hey, Larry, it's a lawyer visit too. So what the fuck? I didn't hire no lawyer. I don't know what to do. This is not, not even a week later. I'm still fucking mad. And because uh, I called and they couldn't represent me because they, they couldn't bring a lawyer in or represent because they didn't want to be involved in what was going on, which I get. So a guy goes he comes into oh, the oh, How you doing, Larry? He goes, he says to me, you know, like this. And he goes, uh, I was sent here by some friends of you. Know, you're, you're, I knew right away what was that? I said, "Yeah." He goes, "I'm thinking, okay." Goes, and I looked through your case. He goes, "I can't represent you." He goes, "But and I'm gonna give you some suggestions." He goes, "I think you're all right." He goes, "You're gonna do a lot of time." He goes, "But you're not gonna do life. You're not gonna do." I'm like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "He goes, yeah." He goes, "You know, first of all, he goes, you didn't have a gun." I, I go. What? He goes, you didn't have a gun? I mean, I, you used a BB gun? I, what? Oh, yeah, I used a BB gun. What fucking BB gun? Yeah. <laughs> the feds never found a gun on me. I never shot a gun. So how'd they know? Bingo. I didn't know this. Because the, gu- the big time on my case was the 924C, yeah. which is a gun charge. So being that I fucking uh, didn't have a gun, they have to drop the 924C. So we went to a preliminary hearing. Well, now I get a lawyer, a, a, a public defender, and I know more about the law because I went into the law library. This is when I started my law career. Ian, like I said, just like with YouTube or anything, I don't quit. I fucking live you the You're a way out, yeah. Nine twenty four C.
0: That's what happens. You're facing life in prison
1: too. You live in br- I tell people whoever ever goes to prison and doesn't do their own case the right way, then they're idiots. There's Be- guys that are they're drooling
0: over it. They're studying it. You know, oh, that was it. But it's 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 fight or, or die. It's you fight survive. or die. You gotta survive.
1: Just, but there's other guys, oh, I got a good paid attorney, and he's getting life. Because yeah. that attorney will give a fuck about you.
0: No, the only one that's got your back is you.
1: 100%.
0: So y- it brings a whole new level of like passion to your case. So what happened? I
1: knew more about, fi- to this day, I probably know more about 924C than any man alive.
0: Now you got you got that dropped and now you're facing. Well,
1: we go to a hearing and the lawyers say, oh, I'm going to get the, shut up. I, I literally told somebody, shut the fuck <laughs> up. I'm going to fight this 924C. I don't give a shit. You tell them we're going to trial. Wherever we going, we're going to trial. We are going to trial, period. I will take them to court in every federal district they have. Every federal district.
0: Over the 924C.
1: They end up agreeing to drop the 924C if I take a plea for fucking the robberies, which is four robberies. There's no more. Well, they knew about 18 others, <laughs> but 90% they were sure. Of, which I said, yeah, I did those. Fuck it. Was fucking, I don't give a shit. I even explain how I did it. Nobody else. But they wanted not John Rodriguez. So that's where I ended up getting indicted again because there's no John Rodriguez. Who's out. John Rodriguez? My brother.
0: So he wants, they want no, they want John Rodriguez. Which is your, their alleged accomplice or whatever. My
1: alleged accomplice, that's okay. how I got caught with it. That's how I got a RICO Act because it has to be two or more.
0: Oh, so one of the jewelers said there was a guy named John Rodriguez. No, he
1: didn't know. I said, who's your partner, John Rodriguez? Oh, you just
0: came up with a name. You take a plea deal. What's the plea deal for?
1: The plea is for four 12-year sentences to run concurrently. Together. Yeah, concurrently. See, it's called running concurrent or running wild or running consecutive. When it runs wild, which is consecutive, then it's you do 12, done, do another 12, none. So you're really getting 48. But when they run them uh, concurrently, that means they're all running together. A lot of people ask me, why do they give a person multiple 12 years? You're doing 12. Well, I often say, listen, do you ever hear them say this guy's got three life sentences? And they go, yeah. You can't die three times, but if you win one of the cases on appeal, you still got to do life because you got the next life. Then you got to win the next one.
0: The feds bulletproof it.
1: Yeah, oh, they sure do. <laughs> now, was there? The, the feds. That's a good word. When, they bulletproof. When it.
0: you sign that deal, though, is there a chance that you could get more than that amount of time? Or I could it,
1: have pulled my plea then. Okay. Yeah. It, no. You, you. You. Obviously, understanding the law, you could pull your plea. If and that's the only reason you would sign it. You wouldn't sign it in the mercy of the court. They call it. So if the judge now if you and, and it, you know as well as I do, Ian federal judges you do any the fuck they want to oh, do oh yeah
0: a lot of them though are pretty consistent with the plea deal for the most mostly, part mostly yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah unless you're signing like an open plea or it's different than, like, uh, an state open
1: plan. plea or he don't like you yeah and I've seen that
0: now did your service hours with the military play into effect at all with the judge
1: uh, you know I don't think so do you uh, speak
0: at your sentencing hearing at all
1: yes just you know I'm sorry kind of deal did you mean it though or no no <laughs> Like what? What's, That's a good question. What? Now, I mean, what do you mean?
0: No, what's I mean, your I'm mindset? Sorry I got caught. Yeah, what? What? <laughs> you're in federal court. You're getting sentenced to twelve years in prison. What's your mindset? Like, what are you thinking at this time? Good
1: point. That's a great question, Ian. Uh, you know, understanding prison. See, I'm not a rookie to prison. I was on Rikers Island. I know shit. But you're a rookie to federal prison. Yeah. Oh, rookie to the big boys. And anybody, you know, it kind of. I get a big kick out of this line. Oh, I'd rather be in the feds than the state. No, you won't. Not at max, anyway. At a camp,
0: yes. Yeah,
1: camp, absolutely. <laughs> I don't even, I've don't never been to a camp. I'll ask you about a camp when you're on my show. Sounds uh, good. In the real prisons, no, because here's why. First of all, in maximum security prisons in the feds, and I'm talking Atlanta at that time, Lewisburg, Atlanta, uh, Leavenworth, uh, Lompoc, they are so bad. First of all, your money don't help. I was in prison with Nicky Scarfo, a Vic Arena, mob bosses, hit men. Everybody who's in a penitentiary in the feds is a either a killer, able to kill, or a, a different level criminal. They have money, but their money don't mean anything in prison. See, in state prison, if you go to a maximum security prison, money means a lot because you... you might know somebody there's connections there's a whole different animal in the state compared to feds. feds do not give a fuck if who you are from helicopter wire over to prisons to get out I mean they cover their fucking asses so when you compare a federal pri- in fact if you look up on even Google worst prison in the United States worst prison in the world do you know what prison comes right up on that ADX, ADX. Yeah. Uh, and I know people have been there and then, you know, when I was in Atlanta, it was... Uh, That's the
0: first federal prison you went to.
1: Well, I went to Lewisburg first and then Atlanta. And Lewisburg, all short time, when I went to Atlanta, the guard said, who did you piss off? You're going to Atlanta. That's like the worst. One At of the, the worst. time, it was the worst prison in, in the country. In fact, they brought a, what they call a troubleshooting warden. They had a guy named Willie Scott. Who's a warden that used to go to prisons, and he had authority over the region. He worked directly for the Bureau P P director. He would walk into the prison. (laughs) I was in Atlanta, and he was in Atlanta. We had a murder a month for 18 months. A murder. Not talking about fucking overdoses, suicides and shit. A murder. Willie Scott was a big black guy, man. Willie Scott, Warren Scott. I, so I, i'm new in the prison now i went there and i suitcased which means put a note up my ass for a mob boss from a prison i was in beforehand from uh farrington new jersey i get i had a note i never opened it never did anything
0: wait you so see, you just took this note and shoved it up your ass
1: well you, yes you put it in cellophane and you know all that and, you, you and it sur- doesn't come out during the squat and cough Fuck no, I love that fucking bullshit All right, so I fucking had note- more knives up my ass And fucking messages and drugs Your ass is fucking Your ass got seven extra inches in it To hold anything the fuck it wants But it took you going to prison to realize this one Hell yeah, I didn't know boy, I didn't. <laughs> So you take. This I wish note- I did No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you take this note to him, what happens
1: Well, I get on the yard into Atlanta So now, first of all I have to go to Captain's Review The penitentiary, you go to Captain's Review First of all, they left me in a hole for three weeks just to fucking rats, mice. It was a fucking worst place. Have you if you've been to Atlanta Holdover? No, I've never been to Atlanta. You heard about Atlanta Holdover? I've
0: heard over Atlanta, yeah.
1: You don't want to go there, period. <laughs> you probably heard that too. Uh, it, was, it is. To this, I mean, first of all, I don't know if anybody heard this year. In the beginning of the year, they, they had a Senate inquiry about it. You know, they closed Yeah, it. they
0: closed down the camp, too, right? Or they, everything, the whole everything, prison. Yeah. They
1: shut it, and they called it a threat to the southeast of the United States. Not Georgia. Not Atlanta, the city. Not Georgia. To the southeast of the United yeah, States. Yeah, I heard about the
0: corruption with the guards. Everything. Listen,
1: that was so bad when we were there. and Anyway, uh, so I go to Atlanta, and I go to cap. Uh, I'm in the whole, and I mean, ugh, we want to talk a fucked up place. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, from the hole to everything, from rodents to fucking, you just—it's really what the, that bad. It is third world country shit. So I end up fucking getting on the yard. I have this note for the last two months. You know what I mean? Sitting up your ass. Well, you know, out, right? You know, so you know, clean, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just had to use the bathroom and shit. So I got a note. I end up taking the note, Clean it up, give it, a bump, you know, don't give it. You know what I mean? I give him the note, and I said, hey, anybody know where Vic Arena is? Vic Arena was a mob boss who was with the Columbos in the war with the Persicos when they had 12 people killed during that thing in the night. And I remember that on the streets, I remember that, of course. I wasn't involved with that family, but I know the whole shit. So I had a note from another dude who I hung out with to just give this note to Vic. And and, and he sealed it, and when he sealed it, you don't look at it, you know, because you could tell if somebody looked at any note. So you don't do that. I give him the note. They go, oh, yeah, Vicarini's on the yard at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Blah, blah, blah. You go out there. And I, you, met, you know when you're in the hole, you've been in the hole? Yeah, I did six months. Okay. When you're in the hole, you come out white as a fucking white, like, you know, like, you're, you are know, you. could tell. First of all, you even walk the yard, you ache, you pain. You understand it. So I go into the fucking um, yard. I, I ask for Vicarini sitting on the benches. I gave him the note. I said, hey, this is from the guy I was with. I, and I leave. And I said, thank you. He goes, okay. So I leave. That was the end of that. I'm hurt. And I, next move, because, you know, penitentiary's is all moves. I go up and I go in and I go to the unit. And I'm laying down. I get a guy comes to my cell. And says, Hey, Larry. Yeah. He didn't know who I was, but he's Larry. Yeah, yeah. He goes, <laughs> I'm like fucking still in shock in this fucking place. He goes, hey, Vic Arena wants to see you on the yard today at six o'clock. You know, after dinner. Okay. And I didn't know where, but it, where he was at. That's what I assumed. So sure enough, I go to eat. Now, you got to remember, I'm just coming from the fucking shoot. Fucking, all got nothing. Got the bobo fucking sneakers. Got the fucking, you know, the, you know, those fucking things. That the, the vans. The, and the whatever the fuck suit. they call them. And I go on the yard. I go out. after eat. I go in the yard. I go see Vic. You sit down. He's if you're all right. He goes, let me give it. And he had a bag of commissary, fucking sneakers, shorts, cups, bowls. You know how it works in fucking prison. I mean, I got a bag of fucking commissary. The whole work. Cause those are your people. Vic got this whole bag for me. Now, do they check you at that
0: point to say, hey, you have like X amount of days to prove your paperwork? Or they no, knew he
1: checked me. Oh, so he, he made phone calls. Whatever he did. And so you were good. I'm with them.
0: So do you think your prison experience was different Because of your mob ties Absolutely we're
1: going to talk about that on okay. my show <laughs> Yeah yes. because
0: like someone like me And I will get to it on your show But like someone like me does not go to a penitentiary And have that same experience It's like totally yeah, different Yeah you, you ever been to a penitentiary No I've, the, the highest I've been is a low security prison
1: uh, oh. <laughs> totally you know it's a different animal obviously you knew that but But
0: even guys that aren't well known like i've had guys on the shows that have been in pens like the two brothers they went through the whole paperwork process because no one knows who they are absolutely yeah i used to i was
1: the dude who pulled the paperwork
0: so you're you're running with the i pulled paperwork that's what i did you're running with the italian car then oh
1: yeah i mean i am listen and i got sick of that because there's politics involved yeah when i say politics
0: yeah what are like prison politics
1: you know the, i got sick of it cuz there's different mob families you know like you know again, if you're in new york colombos gambinos Lucchese, genovese all these guys Banano cup family the five families and there'd be guys from here and tell you yeah hey, don't talk to him you know he's like, I put the whole time. i don't give a fuck i'm an associate i'm not you know what i mean i'm a fucking guy who's strong healthy young kid i did my thing and fucking you know, it kind of reminded me of Goodfellas because I do remember that in that movie. And you know, you do your thing, you know, yeah, and you fucking, you partying, you drinking, you fucking got you guys in your unit. You, you know, you. Do they out. put you to work in
0: prison like the Italians? Are you like their
1: their their muscle? No, oh. no, 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 no. They take care of you. Yeah. Meaning, like, I, I got a job in the kitchen. If you ever notice, all the mob places, they, 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 the 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 mobsters all get jobs in the kitchen, and we do nothing in the kitchen, but. They like, want their meats. No, we filled <laughs> napkin holders. That was our job. And when we fill napkin holders, we fucking get whatever we want from the kitchen and this. And we hang around, tell stories. It was just what we did. You yeah. know what I mean? So, it, you know, I, I ended up getting a job in the kitchen, you know, in Atlanta. And Not,
0: that, Yeah. From what I've seen, like with the Italians, they always eat the best
1: on the of compound. Of course we did.
0: Now, what, what kind of meals are you guys like eating with your connections and the money? Well, and you know,
1: uh, again, we had we all had money. Even I had money. We had money. So we ate as much off the commissary and off what we stole and bought from people out of the kitchen than anybody, obviously. And we would get together. It's not like Goodfellas where they had the bottle of wine, sit down, he's in his bathroom. You know, that was, uh, that's bullshit. But it was where I used to cook when I went down. I ended up going, getting, when I left, when my points go low from Atlanta, I go to Coleman. So the fucking said, they said I was trying to run the yard on Coleman. So they kicked me off that yard and they sent me to Jessup, which is the best place I've ever been. And that place I ended up attacking a unit manager and ended up going back to the penitentiary.
0: Yeah, I got to hear, you were telling me about that in the car. (laughs) I got to hear this uh, case manager story.
1: She's a fucking cunt. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh okay, so anyway, we're still in Atlanta. So, you know, the guys in Atlanta Atlanta was such a violent penitentiary place. You don't go from that place to go to another place and think things are normal. And even the guards and the people knew it. You don't survive Atlanta unless you're you're smart. Oh obviously, you know, people think, Oh, this you're brawn. I was yeah, I was a fighter and all. But it's this that gets you to Atlanta you know people don't understand I could feel tension you know, I, you, you know you understand what I mean I can literally feel tension if the, if I was on that yard, I knew by looking at people's feet what are they wearing they're wearing flip-flops nobody's waiting for something to kick off. When you see a guy take a couple of magazines and put them in between their stomach, you know he's waiting for fucking get a war. When you see a guy put fucking shoes on, everybody's wearing fucking boots and fucking sneakers. Something's not right. You can feel tension. You can know when it's coming. You know it. And you know the people. You're watching the way they're looking at someone else, the way they're, they're just keeping an eye on their back or their six, you know. So there's just things you, you, you become such aware of in a penitentiary. And, you, and it, sure enough, every time it, it happened to me, it paid off. I mean, because I seen something happen. What
0: was the most violent thing you saw in a penitentiary? Oh, wow.
1: Uh, I was in my cell. It's a good story. I was in my cell. And they had 8 o'clock count came. 8 o'clock recall. So everybody comes off the yard. I was in Atlanta. And I hear screaming. All of a sudden, it's about 9 o'clock. And we hear. Ah! I mean, fucking like. A man screaming for his fucking life. Now we can't get to the next tier to help him. Now we know who it is. We know the person. And the guards screaming, Lockdown, lockdown. Everybody's locking down. You know, the first thing you do in a penitentiary is you grab ice or you grab batteries from a store guy or whatever the fuck you gotta do. You gotta make sure, because you never know in lockdowns how long they're gonna be. So you grab what you can grab. And fuck go in our cell. Nothing happens. They don't let us out after nine. Normally from 9 to 9.15, they'd count and they'd let out for 9.15 to 10 o'clock. They don't let us out. Oh, fuck. Next morning, the doors crack. As I tell everybody, when I was in a pet, when I was in prison, I never, ever, ever slept past six o'clock in the morning. I would get up and have my boots or shoes on. And ready to go. Because I don't know who I pissed off. Because I watched the guy lay in his bunk sleep and get killed. So I'm fucking like, you know, oh shit. Okay, 6 o'clock. I get up in the morning. We all go down, wait for the units to be called for chow. Now, a guy comes from the med- medical unit. And he comes into the unit. And he goes, man, you guys got to listen. You got to see this. And it and he comes back with the medical report. Now, we knew the cell... That where the guy happened, and we saw crime scene tape. Crime scene tape in the prison. Wow, in the prison across the cell door, and it said in there inmate his name's Shane inmate Shane's last name I don't forget it inmate Shane's anus was cut with a sharp object from the top of his anus to his scrotum, and seminal fluid was found. Holy shit! Two guys took this kid, and I have a picture of him and cut his ass with a razor blade from the ass to scrotum and fucked
0: him. And why'd they do this?
1: Now, obviously, you know, I talk about that at classes I give. We all know rape is not a a crime of sex. It's not a crime, you know, get a hard-on for rape. Rape is a crime of violence, power, you know, that's all it is. Obviously these two guys, multiple life sentences, they're done, they don't give a fuck. They took this kid and they cut his anus from his ass to his fucking scrotum and they fucked him and the seminal flu was found. Now he didn't die because in the penitentiary you always know when someone dies because they recount. There'll be another count, always. If he keep fucking no matter when he dies, it's gonna be another count because the numbers have to add up to what they currently have. Exactly, count, count, count. Numbers are are, are, are the biggest thing in prison. So they fucking count. And fuck. he didn't. They didn't count. He didn't die, and I'm sure he was transferred. And to this day, you know, it's sometimes even when I touch between, you know, my, under my balls, I, I I don't mean that to be sick. I feel fuck. I mean, it, it'll click a memory in me. Imagine. Yeah.
0: Uh, how does that sit with you mentally? Like looking back on it. You
1: know, I'll tell you the truth. I, I had a girl for a long time, uh, and uh, she used to say. I used to fucking have phone nightmares, you know? Like I don't know, nightmares. I would scream or uh you know, some shit would happen. And uh I get it. I, yeah, I'm sure I did. you know. Listen, I'm that one that one hurt cuz a young kid, 22 years old, you know. And uh you know, either that one I uh, I lost my celly. He got killed for $5 for a book of stamps and he was misclassified. And that one hurts to this day. That hurts. He was a young kid. He was 24 years old. He used to visit. His wife would visit with my wife at the time, and we'd go we'd visit in Edgefield. This is another bad penitentiary. Kid had a drug charge, bullshit drug charge. He was totally misclassified. We used to try to go to the council's office and say, "What the fuck is this kid doing here?" You know, he had six months left though at the time. He had six months. He had a three-year sentence. I don't know who he pissed off or whatever. This kid was a good kid. And he got, matter of fact, I have a tattoo on my leg. I'll show you. I won't fix it. Because uh, we used to do tattoos in our cell. And we got fucked up. We were all smoking weed, fucked up. And he fucked up the tattoo bad. I mean, because he's learning. He he put a stencil. You know how stencils go with the pen and all that? He put it on and he's smushing it. And he's doing it. And we're fucked up. He can't There's no fucking stencil anymore. What are we going to do? And I have that on my leg right now, and I won't fix it. He was. A, he ended up becoming a good tattoo dude, too. He was a very good kid. He was from Alabama. We called him Bama. Young kid. And he ended up getting killed. I was on the yard when he got killed. And, and this uh,
0: happened in your cell?
1: You no, know, it happened. It happened uh, in the unit, but I was on the yard when it happened. Would you have stopped to. Oh, fucking yeah. Yeah, people knew. Yeah. Listen, I'm at this point been in prison for a while, six, seven, eight years. You know, my reputation is good, fucking convict, all that kind of stuff. I sold with him. I mean, no, they wouldn't have did it if I was around. If I was there, it wouldn't have happened. There's no question. He owed a kid $5. $5 is a book of stamps, if you remember. I don't know if it was when you were in.
0: It was $10, yeah.
1: A book what? of stamps was $10. It was Wait 10, a minute. What, a yeah.
0: fucking book of stamps was how much? $10. 10 mackerels, $10. Yeah. That's what the street price was. So you buy it on the commissary for $10. It sold for 10 That's what a
1: book of stamps is now? Yeah,
0: 10 bucks. I think it's probably more now. This is four years ago, five Holy years ago. fuck.
1: When I was in, a stamp was $0.30. 30 cents, $0.29, cents, $0.30. Cents. So one book of stamps, no matter what it was, was $5. So they killed this kid over $5. $5. Why couldn't he just
0: ask you for the money? He- Could have. Could have did a lot of things. And Went he- a penitentiary.
1: Yeah. Remember.
0: Who kills him? Like what car? Oh, it was
1: a black guy. I don't know what car it was mm-hmm. in either. They were gone. It was gone. Nobody authorized it, if you want to call it that. Or So... Uh, Isn't I- it courtesy to come to the cellmate, though? Or- normally, not even the cellmate. Normally, you go to the crew. Like, if you were with us and Ian owed money... They let's say you owed money to the I don't know, the fucking Latin kings. The Latin king would come to us or who our shot caller is and say, listen, know owes his fucking fifty or hundred bucks for heroin, whatever. And we would pay that and beat your fucking ass silly and stick fucking two hundred dollars of fucking heroin up your ass. You'd go to the hole, you know, you know the deal, and you'd sell that heroin and come back and hey, you're good. Oh, he's back, he fucked up. He's yeah. already. Exactly what happened all the time. But some guys don't learn. They keep getting their ass beat. <laughs> and, and, and that is true. It just, you know, they're an addict, you know, a dead addict.
0: What do you think was like the most surprising thing you learned about prison?
1: Surprising? I don't know. You know, su- like surprise. I don't know. Do you
0: think it's like this, how the system is in general? Like with nah, the, the fact know, that that I, kid was in that penitentiary to begin with? Okay, I, I get where you're
1: going. Like, uh, what
0: what shocked you? What was like a wow factor?
1: You know, I always knew the government didn't give a fuck. You know, I mean, I didn't. I didn't know to the degree of how the system in itself is corrupt. Meaning, I was wanted when I when I when they fucked with me, and I was beaten and tortured. Strapped down naked in beat, prison. In prison, Strapped down naked, all documented by FBI. It's in my book.
0: Who who beat you up?
1: The guards?
0: Why did the guards beat you up?
1: Because I was writing against the deaths of people in prison. people who died. I ended up <laughs> see, I learned the system the right way. You know, I was really good at the law, you know, degree and everything else. And I became an expert with the CFR, Code of Fake regulations I end up fucking with the prison, and uh, they don't like that. I actually had a—I a, a, fucking hate this prick to this day. Warden Lamana. John Lamana. what a scumbag. This fucker was—I had the head of OSHA come to my cell in the hall and say, Lawton, keep fucking uh, making waves. The warden is fucking going crazy. He's talking about you in meetings. Who fucking warden talks about had a fucking 2,000 inmates He's talking about you. He hated me. Warden LaManna. What a prick. He ends up going, I, I find this out later, he ends up working for the private prison systems. Of course he does. You know, he's a scumbag. Uh, anyway, he hated me, and I was exposing the deaths of people in prison. Three of my friends were killed in prison by by lack of medical care or everything else that goes along with that. They let one guy bleed to death so bad in his cell... A murderer in his cell said it looked like a pig was fucking stuck. It looked like he fucking slaughtered a pig. That's how bad the cell was in his fucking unit. They let him bleed to death in his fucking cell. Yeah, with cancer, you know. They just don't give a fuck. You know that. Yeah. And uh, so I think the shock of the system is I did not know how heartless. I knew they, you know, some would be heartless. I knew people could be fucking vicious. The system itself as a whole is literally, and I just did something on my channel about this, is the worst prison system in the free world. There's no question about that. We are worse than Spain, Italy, France, Germany, Mexico, Canada. You can go on and on and on every non third world country.
0: Well, you're forced to become like animals in a sense, too. You have to, it turns good people that may have made a, a simple mistake into something that they never thought they would become.
1: It's the best way of explaining. You know yourself and you were in Lowe's.
0: And I've seen like some of the stuff like I had to change or alter that went against my values or stuff only because I was in that position, this dangerous position. And you have to do shit to survive. And people can comment on that from the outside as much as they want. But until you're in that position, you see yourself face down that like there are guys walking around. At a low-security prison, I'm there for fucking fraud for a three-year sentence, nonviolent, and there's guys walking around with rods this big. Okay. Steel rods. Sorry, nothing. Sorry, we call them. Yeah, they're coming the, down from the mediums in the higher-security prisons.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, it's funny. You know, I was in a penitentiary, and, and when I was in Atlanta, I used to talk to a guard, and he goes, I go, man, what's it like in that fucking camp over there? He goes, Lawton, he goes, you wouldn't make it 10 minutes in that fucking place. What do you mean? He goes, you'll leave <laughs> or oh, you'll kill somebody. <laughs> he was yeah. just, it, the respect is not there. The, the angle is not there. He goes, but there's guys down there that will still do. I often tell people this. I don't care what level of prison you're in. Prison is prison. What prison people don't get. Yes, I was in violent prisons, But whether you're in a camp, low, medium, or high. When they take away your freedom and tell you what to do and how to do it is what prison's about. Cause you're a human being, you're an adult, you're fucking wanna they're told when to fucking shut your lights out. You talk down to like a scumbag. I don't care what level. I'm sure camps too. And uh uh yes you'd like the little freedom I mean if you consider that freedom you fucking miss the boat too you know a lot of people oh I'd love to do anything yeah to a guy who's got a life sentence you put him in a camp he feels like he is in Disneyland Yeah. but even the guys who listen even the penitentiaries I was in we would you know you become you, you adapt I hate to say it but I, I I don't like the fact that people think prison is prison people gotta get that prison is prison And the United States is just zero rehabilitation. You know, it's funny. I ended up being one of the only ex-cons who ever went back to his own prison and spoke. I spoke at Coleman. And at the release class, you know, it was funny because I kept giving shit out. I didn't give a shit. They told me what I can't do. Fuck you. I did it. And then, you know, I know the game. And they still... And this is in, maybe I spoke there four years ago. Oh, 2017. Matter of fact, I, I just showed a guy who was on my show. I showed him the certificate. They gave me this BOP certificate for oh, fucking wow. speaking and shit. It was 2017. So that's five years, six years ago almost. And things haven't changed. You know, I got out of prison in 2007. I went in in 2009. You'd think things would change? Not much. And that's why I really think the people who watch this show are gonna love when I talk to you about going to prison in two thousand sixteen compared to two thousand uh nineteen ninety six. Yeah. You know, we're gonna have such a a contrast and just tell me about ten dollar book of fucking stamps. I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Now, what, what year do you finally get out, and how much time do you serve? I end up doing my 12 years, 11 and a half years. I On up, 12? That's not, yeah. Shouldn't
0: it be less? Or you lost? It should have your, been, I lost a lot of time. You lost time. all your good yeah, time. Yeah, okay. a lot of
1: good time. I've got a couple of days. So you're
0: maxed out. What year is this?
1: this I go out in 2007.
0: 2007. How old are you?
1: I am 46 years old.
0: Are, are you thinking, like, I'm going to get back to being the jewel thief no, again? No, no, no. What's the mindset?
1: My mindset when I got out. Now, you got to remember, I ended up getting my paralegal degree. I had a lot of credits from college, uh, got my paralegal degree. I was going to work as a in the law field of some sort. I in a writing brief, doing something like that. And I got out of prison in 2007. I did not want to go back. Nobody gets out of prison ever and says, you know, I liked it there. I think I'm going to go back. You know what people say? I'll kill a cop before I go back. I'll die before I go back. And I, and I get it. I get it. A hundred percent.
0: But they also say they want the money
1: that was from their past life too. Yeah. You you, you like will the- be surprised. I've never seen guys who do a lot of time get out. I helped my buddy get out, who did thirty years, twenty seven on thirty. Mm-hmm. Good friend of mine to this day. And matter of fact, you can interview him. Great guy. Paralegal, one of the smartest legal minds I know. He remembers me in prison. He goes, Like you were the craziest motherfucker I know. Great guy. His name's Paul Tallini. Uh, and uh, to this day we're friends. I picked him up when he got out of prison because I know how hard that is because people are institutionalized. I was totally institutionalized. I, I, I tell people this all the time. I was so fucked up inside. I was institutionalized, not knowing I was. Intelligent, read the papers, did everything. You fucking can't help but being institutionalized. I couldn't fucking, f- I could not function on the outside.
0: Yeah, well, it was some hard things to reintegrate. I'll tell it.
1: you what, Ian, I could not buy a cup of coffee. I had a friend of mine. He used to court me. I, I was, I'm was. i a golfer. So he buys me golf clubs all. So we'd go to the golf club. And whatever he ordered, I said, I'll take the same. I couldn't order. And I'll tell you why. The average person today, everyone in the studio, Nick, you guys, Sean, all these guys, they're going to make 1,500 choices today. That's the average, give or take. The average inmate makes 100 choices a day. You don't got to know what you're eating, what you're wearing, what you're doing, where you're going. They make 100. Now you take that dude and throw him in the street. It's called sensory overload. You fucking can't do it. I tried to do it. tell you a story. I got out of prison, and I wanted to take, I get out of prison in Forest City, Arkansas, another fucking bad prison. I'm in a gang unit in fucking Forest City. That's how much the prison hated me. I'm in Forest City, Arkansas. I'm coming back to Florida, going to half a house. I want to take a bus. Fuck. I've been on Conair 16 times. I've been fucking on more planes. Always in shackles and fucking blue boxes and fucking, you know, a black boy, you know the box. No. Yeah. And fucking, I want to get on a fucking bus free. So I don't want anybody to pick me up. I want to go and get a bus ticket. I have money in my account. I'm ready to go. First things happen, Ian. They bring me downstairs. That's the day of the leaving. Change me out. Guy gives me money. I say, hey, where do I change that money? Looks at me. I go, give me my money. I had $275 in my account. They give you $25. I had 250 something, $55, I think it was. And I had $25. They give you $25 gate money. Big fucking... This, I, don't know, I don't know what they, they, they still gave me today. They gave me 25 bucks. Holy fuck. Yeah. Now,
0: something don't they, change. They pay for the flight and shit, though? Yeah, yeah. The, the, oh, flight? Yeah, they gave me a flight F- back a to Connecticut. A flight? Yeah, they put me on a flight. Shit, I was on a bus. Yeah. They bus. gave me a flight. They paid for the ticket. What prison? Uh, Wisconsin, Oxford. I was in
1: fucking Forest City. They gave me a bus ticket. Yeah. So anyway, I get on the fucking... I said, give me my money. He goes, that's your money. I said, don't fuck with me. I want my money. Because that's your money. I'm mad. Money changed three times. If you guys remember money back in the day, money has now got a colored head. It's big. It's totally different than what I went to prison in. When I went to prison, money was money Now I thought I had it was I thought it was like a note you go to the bank and they give you your real money. That's what I thought it was. He convinces me it's money. I said, okay. I got money. I got two hundred seventy pocket. I'm in Now, listen, can you spot an undercover cop? You know you can. Hmm. Fuck, you can spot a dude who just fucking come from fucking prison. Bobo fucking sneakers, a fucking jeans, a white shirt, fucking psychopath. They drop you off at the bus station the minute it comes. They'll wait with you. They want you out of that fucking town. So I get, they give me the bus ticket. I give it to the bus driver. I get on the bus. I sit down, and I sit next to this fucking blonde, good-looking girl. Holy fuck. I ain't seen a fucking broad. First of all, for years, I didn't even see a car. Because you we went in Atlanta for years, you didn't see a car because of the 40-foot wall. I thought a Chrysler 300 was a Rolls Royce. That's how fucked up I was. Anyway, I sit next to this girl, and she's got a phone. This is 2007. It was a Razor Flip phone. I don't know if you guys remember Razor yeah, Flip Yeah, I remember the Razor. And I go, what the fuck is that? I ask her, can I see your phone? Think of how that sounds right off the bat. Who the fuck sees somebody's phone? You're just fascinated. She's fucking looking at me like this psychopath is fucking looking at her phone. And I take her phone. And I'm thinking, how can these fucking fat fingers touch these little buttons? (laughs) I close the phone because she was on it. Give her back, hung up or whatever it was. Because you got to remember, when I went to prison, I had a Motorola phone i beat people with. I could make a commercial out of that. And a beeper. Beat people and make a phone call all the same day. So anyway, I'm fucking sitting there. And I'm doing this, Ian. I'm going like this with my hands. Hi, I'm free. I'm fucking free. I'm like, I must have looked like the fucking wackiest motherfucker on the planet. Yeah. Next stop, she gets up and moves. I had a seat by myself the whole trip. Nobody fucking sat next to me. Oh, wow. I didn't think in any of it. I'm looking out the window. I'm like, I'm like fucking really a lost soul. Next thing over to PA. All right, everybody. We're going to pay 40 minutes for lunch. 40 minutes. We're pulling in for gas for lunch. Gas for lunch. Well, when I went to prison, a gas station sold cigarettes, beer, uh, sodas na-na-na-na-na we pull in and there's a subway there's a food mart and i remember that fat pedophile now that scumbag jared, jared fogel but i want a fucking subway sandwich they got money in my pocket i go Fuck. I get out worried about the time i'm watching i had to the timex you remember the timex yeah they, sold they saw him, the casio, yeah, too. The casio <laughs> that, was. that was a God, popular God, that Cas- idea. I fucking go on, I get online, I look up, I freeze. I fucking freeze. People are behind me. I'm fucking feeling fucking nervous. I can't make a choice. I could not fucking say the words. I left that line Ian and I went on the bus, literally, I was crying. I'm a fucking psychopath as it is. If it wasn't for my cousin, look at me, I'm getting emotional. If it wasn't for my cousin, who I called from the next station, who's a psychologist, I'm very close to her. She said, Larry, you're in a very dangerous spot. I want you to get on that bus. I want you to don't talk to anybody. I want you to get back to where you, you know, get there. And she told me, you have sensory overload. You can't make a choice. You're going to kill somebody. You And, and I, was, I was ready to do something to somebody to go back to prison.
0: And the system's not even preparing you for this. Nothing. They just you know you, that. Yeah, they threw not you out. A,
1: I don't know if they changed. Yeah. Not a fucking thing.
0: No, they didn't do shit for me when I'm, I got up. Look out. at me. I'm fucking,
1: <laughs> I fucking end up fucking getting to the prison. I, I, I get there. I didn't eat for 24 hours. I literally sat in that fucking corner. If somebody came close to me, i feel bad because what I would have did to them. I get into the halfway house, and I'm locked up, and I felt good. I felt good I'm locked up I'm fucking locked up and I fucking from that process I learned so much my cousin such a genius if it wasn't for her. I know I would have did something to somebody because I just was not capable of fucking functioning in the real world coming from penitentiaries, coming from very violent places where a look could kill you. I tell people they think you're badass. You don't want respect? Go to prison. Because if you bump into someone, you better fucking say excuse me. Because if you're in a penitent, you don't say excuse me. You just might die that night. And I know that sounds trivial, but you know what I mean. It will happen. How long did it take you to to finally adjust? Well, you know, it was funny. I was in the halfway house. I ended up getting a job. They make you get a job. I was in Tampa. I ended up fucking the girl next to me. That was the first time I got laid when I got out. That was pretty cool. But anyway, I end up my buddy Dennis saw that I could not make a choice on fucking ordering a fucking sandwich. And he says to me, Larry, he goes, we're sitting here. He used to eat a fucking piece of chicken, nothing bland, this fucking piece of shit. He goes, no way you like this. He goes, read the menu. Order what you want. We're not going anywhere. And I did, and then I ordered it and it was like, I'm like, you know, that kind of almost broke me. And then I had, and you know, the first thing I've ever ordered was a number one of McDonald's. Not McDonald's and a Big Mac? Because it a Big Mac. Was a Big Mac. Yeah. I, I, I mean, front. you
0: do a little bit more each day and, yeah, and you pick I, you know, up the pieces. Funny,
1: yeah, funny, Ian, because I end up, uh, I end up fucking totally, you know, obviously time helps you. And it's funny because to this day, I fucking get fucking the GBs if a cop is behind me. And oh, I'm clean as a motherfucking whistle. Dude,
0: that happens to me whenever I see a car on the a cop car on the highway <laughs> or a fucking cop walks into a room that I'm at and I don't do anything illegal, but like if it if they did and, and they're there, like I'm nervous as shit. Like my heart's pounding and it's just like that trauma from that like that it's literally PTSD. P- totally. Like just like and standing I, listen, in
1: line with them? I do nothing no i do drugs i do my tip but i don't do anything illegal you know what i mean i'm not gonna sell drugs i'm not gonna do things i'm not listen i make good money i do my life i have a good time i enjoy people i like to educate people i like to do what i do but i fucking get the fucking i want to and you get this defense mode yeah it's just what it is
0: what was your relationship with your um your children and your you know i'll tell you what
1: my children i got to give a lot of credit uh I went to prison when my son was seven. I got out and he was 18. I went to prison when my daughter was 15 months old and I got out and she was 13. My daughter never knew me, ever. She thought I was a truck driver or whatever the fucking they told her. She used to visit me. So my daughter uh, and I, I'm very close with my kids. They actually, my daughter and my my daughter and my son respect the fact that I went away. I was offered three years to rap on the mob. I wouldn't do it. I was off. They took six million from me, and I was offered three years. I wouldn't do it. And it wasn't because I was scared of somebody else. I was the muscle. I was the crazy fuck. But it's just something again. And I think it was from my dad. I think it was from my my that, and that's why I tell you my word. If I tell you I'm gonna be there, or I'm gonna be here, and what someone does something, what they did, I don't like that. You tell you gonna be here, be here. that's has better, but a good reason you're not here.
0: Yeah, and if you can't be there, make
1: it right. Bingo, hundred percent. And it can happen. I listen, there can, something can happen to me, and my mom's sick, and you know, I couldn't make it. I pay you, pay everything they did. You know what I mean? Whatever we did, I would take care of it. I just don't. I, I, people's word. Listen, if we came here and these two dudes weren't here, I'd say, who the fuck are these motherfuckers? But they're here, they're good. Their word means something. Their, who they are means something. You, that means more. Listen, i tell you people, as a guy who's going to be 62 years old, knocked over. i tell you one thing. I was millionaire three times over already. Three times I made I was a millionaire. <coughs> Money is great. Yeah, to me, it's a scorecard. Memories, people's words, and this situation. Like, I'm here right now. I don't want to be anywhere else right now, period, on the planet. I don't give a fuck. People say, I don't give a fuck if it's a celebrity or this. And I've been with a lot of them. I don't give a fuck. I want to be right here. I'm here. I'm having a good time, having a drink, talking and bullshit with you guys. That's where I want to be. I'm happy. I'm happy. When that stops, I will stop what I'm doing and I will get to where I'm, I'm, I'm happy again. And I hope people get that with my story or your story or any story. You know, I love people who work, the hustle, the stuff. I love working with Nick. I like working with at Darian, my editor, my son. I like working with the people. I'm, I get mad at them. I'm fucking normal. I'm a crazy fucking.
0: <laughs> That's what makes you original, though. Unique, you know? But I love it, you know? Did you feel bad like putting your kids through that? Like getting out? Do you feel like you had you owed them something to rebuild you know, that relationship? I'm sure I
1: did. And I'm sure that's why I spoiled the fuck out of them, which I shouldn't. But what I do believe uh is my kids told me how proud of that I am. Because my kids know my reputation on the street was just impeccable. And trust me, my son was smart. He used to ride up and down in front of the bar when he was a kid and they'd stop hey kid come here it's 20 how's your dad doing you know he figured a hustle they, t- they out. <laughs> took care of it yeah
0: you know he figured a hustle out what did you um get in for work after prison like what? what did you do for work
1: well you know i got lucky in this aspect when i first got out of prison Ian, a guy comes up to me and says to me he goes, a friend of mine he's a golf pro he goes larry i need a favor so what what the fuck i'll break your fuck fuck you motherfucker <laughs> Thinking he's he wants me to do something bad. Yeah, he goes, no, no, I'm sorry. He goes, I caught my 16 year old smoking weed, and he told me, "Fuck you, dad. Where have you ever been?" So your son told you that. Now this is 2007. Forget weed today. But even the, I don't believe young kids should smoke weed anyway. But anyway, he goes, "You son told you that? You want to talk Lucky Ian? I have my video, which is right number one video for helping kids." I have pictures and shit of me in prison with gang members, mobsters, guys with life sentence. You know what I mean? I have fucking the pictures I have that you can't do anymore. I don't think you can do that anymore. Can no, you? you can still take pictures. in the. House. But can you take it with other people like yeah. gangsters and shit?
0: Yeah, you can take pictures. Yeah.
1: Okay, see, yeah, I heard it in the they, penitentiary. They, they, they don't oh, I don't
0: know about in the pens, but in the lows and stuff, you could still go around. You take the they have the community photos. You buy the. You can the go ticket. in the yard and take them? Yeah, you could take oh, them. They, they had a oh, camera they, guy that got they even paid They that when I was yeah, in. Yeah,
1: they were still doing that. Oh, good. At least yeah. they're good. That made me feel good. But anyway, so I have pictures of me with mobs, as gangsters, people who, you know, dead, a lot of shit. And I put them all together and I went and talked to the kid and I said two curse words. I said, you told your father where the fuck he's been? I'm sure you where the fuck I just come from. This kid looked. Now, I'm a big guy. He was. A, he looked like, oh, shit, you know. And I started telling him stories about the kid who got his anus cut, other stories, a lot of stories. And at the end of the day, I said, listen to me, kid. I'm calling, I'm doing your father a favor. You want to go to prison, you're going to see somebody I know, I don't give a fuck. How's that? I don't give a fuck. You go there, he's going to fuck you so fucking hard, you're fucking never walking in. You're like kid's looking at me like, "What the fuck? This guy's crazy." Dad gives me a hundred bucks. Really? I leave. Didn't ask for it because like, I thank you very much. I was in, I was talking to the kid for a while, hour and a half or whatever. He's probably worried I beat the kid to dad to something. Scared the straight program. It wasn't. No, see, Ian, that that I, I, everybody thinks that, but I don't yell. I don't scream. I tell a story. Yeah, and I end up. The kid says, "Dad." I don't want to go wherever Mr. Law went, ever. I need help. To this day, that kid's doing great. And, you know, that guy gave my number. I'm getting 100 bucks here, getting 100 bucks there, getting 100 Fuck. I get a phone call from the court. Court lady says, I'm Gene Bandish. I, I, I'd like to talk to Mr. Law. Yeah, yeah I'm here. Uh, judge Ryman wants to see us. I ain't seen no you got to want. You got to get a subpoena. I ain't going to see no judge. No, the judge wants to talk to you about what you do. I said, Listen, I know the law. Do you have a want? Do you have a spina? I, I want to know what. It is. No, Mr. Lawton. They, they want to know that I'm helping kids. They convinced me to come in. We find out years later that I'm not supposed to be in the chambers with the judge on paper and all this <laughs> shit. I go to the fucking meeting on a Friday. And I showed it, you know, my, my nephew since passed. He ends up showing me how to put a 10 power, 10 powerpoint. I don't even know what a fucking powerpoint is. You got to remember. I don't know shit. Yeah. I showed this powerpoint what I'm doing and the judge says, would you like to stay? I said, no, I'm leaving. I leave the fucking chambers. I'm uncomfortable as shit. I'm in a courtroom. Monday comes. Lady goes, Mr. Lord, I have to give you a heads up. The judge sentenced two people to your program. What fucking program?
0: Now For, you have a program.
1: Now, that, I actually developed the number one program right now in the United States helping young people stay. And
0: it. this is all because that friend introduced you to their son. Yeah. That's fate right there. That's fate, destiny, whatever you want to call it. Like everything you've been through
1: prepared I, you, know, you to I, that.
0: I don't know if it would have happened or not happened.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I love what I do. Listen, I only tell stories to try to affect people in a right way. I mean, to me, I don't glorify what I've done.
0: No, but I think when people hear stories like yours or mine or whatever, they look at when you look at the whole picture and you don't dissect it in parts like you don't look at the crime, just the crime aspect and you don't look at just the motivational ending. You piece everything together to see what the person went through and see how they came around it. That shit is inspiring. Like, I love those kinds of stories like that's great. You literally went from robbing jewelry stores, working with the mob to becoming like, one of the biggest YouTubers for, for your genre. Like, that's insane. And,
1: and, and even more than that, it's like when my my program is used in court systems, people get sentenced to what I do. They have to take my video. They have to watch it. They have to take a test. They have to pass it. Uh, police agencies use it to help try to help people. I'm the only ex-con who's an honorary police officer. How fucked up is that?
0: Oh, they gave you a badge? I have a badge. Unbelievable.
1: I have a fuck. Do you know I'm the only ex-con in the United States ever recognized on the floor of the United States Congress? Now that they need to give you a pardon. That would be good, too. <laughs> but I'm the only one ever... Rec- I'm in the congressional records. So in 300 years, when they go through the history of America... They remember a lot. who the fuck is that guy? He got fucking, a fucking recognized on the floor of the United... They read a whole congressional record that's in the record. I think they're going to look
0: at your YouTube videos before anyone does Yeah, you know that. they are. We know they so are. So how do you then turn that into this big social media brand? Like when do you realize the potential of what you were doing?
1: You know, that's a great question because you're right. I was recognized before. All of the social media. Yeah, this is 2007.
0: Like, crime wasn't really... No, no, no.
1: 2013 is when I was recognized on Congress. But
0: even so, like, Wolf of Wall Street just dropped is when they started promoting, like, that aspect of it. Like I I don't know what the right word is for, but that's when it started to become big, like popular. No one was there was no TikTok back then. People were telling prison stories. It was Shit, just there was different. no YouTube. Yeah, it was it was different.
1: 2007 was it YouTube out? I don't even know.
0: Maybe, but it wasn't. It was like it we, was
1: Nick saying yeah. Was we, it Nick? Honestly, uh, we when watched did like, YouTube drop?
0: We watched like how to videos. 2007. Yeah, so, yeah, we were watching like Coke and Mentos and, and stuff like that on YouTube. <laughs> it wasn't like this prison stuff. I mean, they had like American Greed, whatever, but. I think like Wolf of Wall Street brought it to a new level in a way, and then you're coming along. How how does that process unfold?
1: You know, I never thought about it like you just said. I do know when I started YouTube, I only started it three years ago, and I started it because I got fucked over by Vanity Fair and then Conest travel. And actually, No Jumper did a whole fucking video on that and put it up, just the video of me. Blast and fucking kind travel, not kind of travel. Uh, Vanity Fair, yeah. uh And I, and I did that because listen, I don't do anything for money per se. I do it because I like to do it. I, I think it's right. I think money comes with it.
0: You do what you love, and the money will follow. And
1: you know, you know. I I got a team that I they need kicked in the ass, but they're great. I do love them. I really do. You should
0: hire me on the team. You're gonna, you're coming.
1: <laughs> Don't think you're not. Don't think I fucking talked to Nick already about hey, it. <laughs> I'm, fu-
0: I'm hungry, Larry. Yeah, know? I, I love I'm, it. I'm ambitious and you know what it is I'm hungry. In,
1: and I, I see that. Yeah. And I don't mean that to even joke. You're the age that I love. You're 27. And my Nick is 25. My son's there. I love working with young people. Even your studio guys. People, everybody's They're young. young. I mean,
0: Larry, the thing with me is like I literally had so much at such a young age and I lost it all. And like things I like got, that, and things got so fucked up. So to me, like this is like a fucking. This is like my redemption to like get that back. And like I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get to that level. And you'll
1: be the, you know, obviously you're a smart young guy. You, you know you're dedicated. You got a work ethic that's I love. I, I, that's mine. I mean, who who at my age you got a work ethic like I just will work <laughs> and work. Yeah. it's just because it's just I love what I do, and I think when people see that, they recognize that. You know, social media is I did not know what YouTube was before I started this shit. I did not know what fucking Instagram and Facebook and the stuff we miss. I really, I'm not into, I'm a big reader. I'm a big, uh, I'm a communicator with you. I like people. I think, I think when you can change people's lives, I know social media is so needed today. And the more, Good people, we get behind social media. I think the better we'll we'll all be.
0: Well, you put a lot of thought into it. Like I remember your first email you ever sent to me. It's like this: creators don't respond like that. You sent me like a six paragraph email, and it was like very pleasant. I remember
1: emailing you because Nick is the one who told (laughs) me about you, and then I I I said and I I totally did. I did a whole email because I thought about it, and then I look him up and do things. I look at and I I. Smart guy I, I like it And, and, and he's going to and he, And you know I always believe that Again I don't care what size People get and whatever I ever get Or you get or people get I've done I did a podcast So small the other day he, he, uh, Nick goes I said listen Nick Give the kid a hand give him he's trying he try. You know I used to do This with my with my, uh, my program if a parent only emailed me once, I wouldn't see their kid. But if they emailed twice or three times, definitely. Because that means they want the help. It's not just, oh, I'll pay them the help. I'll pay them. They want it. They want to do it. They want it. They care. They, 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 you know, I look at it. Listen, when I first started in YouTube and all this stuff, I blew up pretty quickly because it was a timing thing. I got lucky a lot of ways. And you got good content, whatever it is. But you also, I also had people that were willing to talk to you, willing to bring you on. I've had the assholes too. We talked about that. You need the assholes though to grow. Like it, that's a part of it. You know what? It makes you think, "Oh fuck yourself," <laughs> you know, "fuck you," you know. Uh, and I, I like people who understand what we do because you and I both know, and we've talked about it already, it's a grind. But you have a message. And I think your ultimate message, my ultimate message, yes, it's the grind. My ultimate message is don't do the stupid shit I did when I was younger and and crazy shit. Because you can make it now. You know, like what you're doing. Uh, I love that you have this. I'm telling you, you impress me more in, in, in these 24. I mean, just these guys are impressive. The studio is impressive. The way you set it up is impressive. And yeah, I hope we do work together in a lot of ways. In a lot Snagular. of ways. And, and listen, I need a lot, little less than most people. Because <laughs> so I'm, I'm at my level. You know, I have a, a, my RV. I love that. I love doing things. Come up here. I got a studio in the RV. And, you know, I traveled already to fucking Mount Rushmore and shit. And did videos. And so you could do things.
0: Why do you think people like gravitate towards your content? Like, what do you think it was about you? Do you ever stop and think? Like, I always, I'm thinking I'm very, like, self-aware and thinking about, like, my brand and the message I'm putting out there. Have you gotten a moment to think about what you're doing and making sure you never stray from that and kind of seeing that value?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you a great point. I have a lot of very, very influential friends. I, I'm One of, a good friend of mine is a guy who literally invented the iPhone touch. <laughs> literally sold to Apple. Great That's awesome. Friend, great friend. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of very good friends. And you know what they always say, Larry. Your s- story is one nobody's got it. Like meaning to go through what you went through in your whole life. You know, people often say, "Holy shit!" And you know, not one bit, Ian. Not one second is made up. I mean, that. you go. Know, people have vetted me, like uh, uh, the writers and my book and companies. They go, "Holy shit, you're real." You ever been on concrete? No, I, I want to get on that podcast. Good friend of mine. I'll get you. Great. He'll like you. Yeah, I think Great that would be good. Great guy too. Thank you. So uh, he's had me on a bunch of times. He wants me to come all the time. So his producer was on with me like this, and he goes, "Larry, he goes, you've been on here, I don't know, three times, four times, an hour, three hours for him." He goes, "I sit here and I Google and I do everything you talk. About. Holy shit! At not one thing ever was even off. Like it is. It's I go, could." I don't have to lie. I don't, I live this life, you know, so it's, it's, I think people are intrigued that I'm sometimes even think, wow, I did really do all this shit so it's from yeah, congressional record it. to fucking yeah. police, honorary police officer to fucking robbing all this shit. I did. I think, wow, where did I get the time? <laughs> shit. Yeah. But it comes by the cost of some things, obviously cost of time. My family tosses his top. Listen, my dad, I was very close with, and he had Alzheimer's and, uh, I lost the best years of his life and I can't, I can't ever get it back. You know, so I, I got my mom, which I, you know, I take care of my mom and she'll never go to home. I'll, I'll take care of her for the rest of her fucking life. That's great. And uh, so other than that, I like working with young people. I love working with young people. Nick is a, is a refreshing, drives me nuts. You, you know I mean? I like young people yeah. that are, listen, you guys are smart. You just gotta accept Sometimes us guys, my, see, you know, what people don't get in my whole business, even I tell people I'm no smarter than you. I just got more experience of A place. You don't want to go. That's it. That's the only thing I got. I happen to be a intelligent you got all that crap, but you guys are smart. I'd be an idiot not to listen to you, look at you and, and, and take what you'd say with, with, as with, with, with the appreciation or with the respect it deserves. And vice versa. I'm not smarter than you, but I have experience of a place, especially prisons or certain things. You don't want to go and live that life, because yeah, it's exciting, but you're not going to like the heartache that comes along with that. Yeah. And with that's, you know, obviously, I think that's the most important.
0: Now, if you could go back to your younger self that had just gotten out of the military, and you were standing right next to that person, what would you say to him?
1: You know, it's so hard to do that because our past makes us who we are today. Would I be who I am today if I didn't go through everything I just went through? The bad parts, the, the, you know, the bad part. there's parts I don't want to talk about, obviously, you know, violent certain parts. Uh, but the, I don't know. I listen, I think, I think you, me, Nick, the key people, all you guys right here in this room, uh, I think our brains will get us where we want to go. And we just have to let that go and, and accept the knowledge and keep going with it and fight it and learn. The minute you stop learning people tell me all the time, like, listen to me. You know the best saying I say to people? When you're 20, you think you know it all. Holy fuck, you think oh, you're a I've fucking there, smart yeah. motherfucker. When you hit 30, you look back and you go, man, I was a stupid motherfucker at 20. When you hit 40, You look back and go, man, I didn't know shit at 30. When you hit 50, you look back and go, am I ever going to learn shit? When you hit 60, you say, fuck, I'm still learning. The minute I stop learning from you or uh, uh, Shane or any of these guys, I'm done. And I don't don't ever want to be done. You know, until I die, I want to learn.
0: I mean, it could be as simple as just like telling your old self, like, stay the course and everything's going to work out. I think if I had known that, you know, at 18 years old, just everything's going to piece together. Because when I look back at everything now, every girl I dated, every business decision, everything I did, prison, the whole nine yards, everyone I met, the experiences it brought me to literally where I am right now. And it's an opportunity to make something out of all this. And And bigger and better. Bigger and better. I mean, like, my business, like, yeah, I owned a nightclub and stuff, but it was never really generating, like, it brought in money, but not like a profit. And now, comparing to I now, I don't care what it brings in. Yeah.
1: See, here's the difference. See, you know what? What? You know when you look at everything you had, like I look at all the stuff. From I own my own limousine, and I had fucking, and it's very hard to tell someone today, oh, it don't mean anything. You know, I, I had a limousine and a driver and multiple homes and houses and horses and boats and cars. I had all that shit. It's easy to tell someone, "Oh, I don't mean shit," because it's not about money. What I try to say is, it, it really—the older you get, the realize you—it's it, more about memories and who you meet. Now, you might make memories with whatever you get. Pick and choose the people you you you, you associate with very quickly. I mean, nicely. I've never ever met. I never made enemies, Ian, no matter where I was, on the way up or way down. And now my dad told me that. He goes, Larry, he goes, you're going to do a lot in life. He goes, on the way up, don't ever fucking disrespect people and don't make enemies because you'll meet them on the way down. Yeah. And I respect waiters and bus, but I don't give a fuck. I take well, care of people. That old saying,
0: you know, treat the, the custodian the same way you would treat Absolutely, the CEO. Absolutely,
1: man, because, listen, you don't know another person's situation. You don't know what they've been through. And uh, we, we all with the right opportunity. Now, obviously you, you're smart and people are smart and that's why you're at your position you're at. If you weren't, you wouldn't be there. Period. Period. And that's okay too because the people, you know, the, I, they all saying the world needs everything. Yeah. So you can't, everybody can't be a boss. So I often tell people just to listen, the more you uh, realize where you're at and be in the presence. You know, my cousin told me this, Larry, she goes, be in the present right now. Be where you are right now. If you could be where you are right now, that's why I do totally enjoy this conversation or totally enjoy whoever presence I'm in. It's a
0: different spin on things.
1: Well, it's an important spin because when you could be in that presence with somebody, you can truly connect with them. Absolutely. And with that.
0: Larry, thank you for coming on the show, man. Where can people find you at? Um, you got to plug in, you know. Your stuff <laughs> you know, it's
1: easy. Just <laughs> Google Larry Law. Yeah, you're, you're you know, all over Google. You but. know, it's kind. Of, it's just all you gotta do is Google Larry Law. But I, I want them, you know, I want him to understand about we got cigar. That's great. CrookedDiamondCigar.com at, at the cigars. Are great. If they use promo code Loyalty fifteen, they get fifteen percent off everything. And when you get $200 bottles, a box of cigars, that's $60 off. That's a pretty good job. Quite the salesman. Right. right? <laughs> well, it is. It's uh, Loyalty 15. And buy the book. The book, Gangster Redemption. It's an amazing story. Uh, I, I, listen, I tell people buy the book now because when the movie comes out, it's going to be worth money. <laughs> <But> <laughs> awesome, man. Thank, thank you, Thank you for having me. And Thanks for coming. I really appreciate calm, it. I had a great time. Yeah. Thank you.